When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up? This is Eckerodge from Back to Godhead, and you're listening to the Coffee and Hardcore podcast. These guys know a ton about hardcore, especially the hardcore encyclopedia. But like me, they don't know jack shit about coffee, except that Jacob guy. He knows his stuff. All right, guys, you've been warned. Peace. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, everyone, hey, we have made it to season five if you can believe that my name is mick i'm here in parkersburg west virginia and i am joined by the one and only wiley willis all the way from chicago it's coffee and hardcore season five episode one what's up what's up (laughs) (laughs) dang that's an intro good job can you can you believe we're here uh honestly no (laughs) If, if you go back and look at when we first started this thing (laughs) <laughs> and yeah. now here we are it's, it's five seasons later we've added two other people yeah. um if you go back and look behind the scenes you, no one would believe that we're actually no <laughs> no no <laughs> uh, so much is so much happens behind the scenes yes. on everything everything oh, yeah. you do in life yeah but and how many t- like I try to think back of how many times we were like, should we keep doing this? Should we wait a little bit? What should, what are we doing? Yeah. Well, here's, here's here we some, are. Here's something that's going to catch you off guard. Um, are we doing a Patreon? That's what we're supposed to be doing. That's what we're supposed to be doing. I forgot about it too. Until right now, I threw myself off guard. <laughs> it's in the works. You'll see something it's, it's where you can, where, where you can do it. Yeah. No, we're excited to do that this year. It's 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 something we're we're kind of branching into to yeah. see what can happen. Kind of get you you kind of get the behind the scenes a little bit too. Right. We just sort of lost contact because of the holidays. Right. It's been we it's we haven't been talking crazy. as much. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, we did this thing that old people do sometimes when they're like, "Hey, break a hip." I don't. Not that. No. <laughs> but where we go, hey, I guess I don't need my phone because you and I were both like. Yeah. At one point, we're like, you know what? I, I I'm gonna put my, I'm not gonna use my phone today, and then because I didn't hear from you all day, and then the next day you didn't hear from me all day. Yeah. <laughs> we were like, what? Mm-hmm. And that's what we did. It was, it was actually kind of nice. It was really nice. <laughs> so on Christmas, I actually got a. I got so I, like, I think we woke up at like seven, got on the phone, said all of our Merry Christmas to family and, and you guys and friends. You yeah. Know, God, yeah. Godparents, Cox family, godparents, and then basically was like shelving my phone from like 8 8 a.m on so it was awesome 
Yeah, one day it's kind of kind of. I didn't even look at my phone for a whole day, and I think and, till not till like one the next day or something like that, noon or one or something the next day. Yeah, which I, that's crazy. That that's crazy to people, right? <laughs> or to us, because it's like right. that is a that is a real addiction, I guess. Yeah, and, and plus, like, if people don't know, and they they probably if they listen enough, they would know that we're all huge hockey fans. So we talk during the NHL season we probably talk more hockey than we do anything else. And there's like four or five of us that's in that group. And we, yes, for it not to chirp. <laughs> well, there's no hockey games that day either. There, I know, I know, I know. So there was football it, though. I watched, I watched like three football games, but. Which is cool. That was cool. Uh, yeah. Little Christmas kind of thing. They had yeah. going on. So it's awesome. Probably not cool so. for the players, but cool for us. Right. Cool for us. <laughs> watch it at home. Yeah. With a root beer. Yeah. No. So I feel like everybody had it. We all had a good holiday coming back, doing this. It's kind of nice. Yeah. Back in, it, the, back in the groove. It's weird because 10 days, I had 10 days off, by the way. Oh, wow. That's the most time I had off in a really long time. And it felt like a really long time, but then it didn't. Like it felt. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. I was like 10 days. That's crazy. But then it just seemed like it exploded. It's gone. Away. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's which gone. is which is good for you to have 10 days off in my opinion you, you kind of you work crazy hours i do and it was cool because i was pretty much unless there was like an important game on i was pretty much in bed by 10 every night which, oh yeah how'd that feel amazing oh uh, yeah <laughs> but it it screwed me up <laughs> this week back because now i don't go to bed till like 2 two thirty. you know and right so my body at like 10 is like, uh, what are we doing? I thought we we're going to, bed. I, we're going right. to bed. <laughs> I remember a time in my life when I was working midnights and when I would finally try to shift that, that was bad. Yeah. And then going back and doing it, you're like, wait, what? <laughs> so I learned like, yeah, to train myself to go backwards and go like, okay, if I'm going back to work midnights, then I need to do a couple nights. I need to stay up a little later. <laughs> yeah. I should have done that. I think the last night I was like, I should go to bed earlier so I could catch up on some more sleep. So I went to bed at like nine. <laughs> uh, I was laughing. Was even more in shock. I was laughing because the other day I, I normally, I can't sleep in. It's hard to sleep in. And the other day I slept to like eight 30 and I was like, Holy cow. This is was that on Christmas. Yeah. Or new year's or, or yeah. It was, it was both like Christmas and yeah. new year's because Christmas, like my kids didn't wake up early at all which is so weird, dude. When I was like their age, I was chomping yeah. at the bit, but they're like sleeping. I'd wake up at like 4 a.m. and be like, oh, it's not time yet. Okay, I need right. to try to sleep. <laughs> I, to I sleep, need to try right. to sleep. <laughs> Gosh. But yeah. Well, it was good. Cool. I'm good glad time. we caught up a little bit yeah. on our vacation. Yeah. Well, we got a good episode for y'all. Yeah, we do have a really good episode and it means a lot to us because both because Crash Dog was a big influence in our life. At least somebody that we we yeah. listened to quite a bit and and uh Spike was always really cool uh to I'm he's cool to you because and you probably had way more contact with him than I have, but um back in the day, early cornerstone years for Zale, like that he was really big on helping us out playing different spots and things so it's it's cool to finally get to talk to him like for real yeah so it's interesting because i got saved at 97 cornerstone i mean if you're a listener you know about this 
right. with head, head noise, right? Yeah. And so I moved to Japuza in 2000 um, after I gra- year after I graduated. And um, it was crazy because from 97 to 2000, I was listening to all, you know, the, the Gur bands and then the um, Tooth and Nail bands and like Betty Rocket and, right. you know, Five Minute Walk and stuff like that. Like, so all those bands, all those Christian bands I left. And so moving to Japuza, to Jesus People, um, moving to Chicago in 2000, it's all these bands, like Squad 5-0 practiced there a couple times when they were going through uh, on tour, um, Unwet Sailor, like just so many bands, right? Like Me Without You would stop by. They did a few practices there. Um, and then we watched them at Fireside. They practiced at, at Japuza and the, on the skate ramp. And then they went and played Fireside. And we all went and watched them. And then even Ludacris, you know, so all these bands. And so it was just so gnarly and, and weird and surreal to be put into this world of all these musicians that I looked up to and cared about and listened to. And it was just, it was bizarre. So, and that's the thing with Spike. Spike was there. Spike was in Crash Dog. I loved Crash Dog. And Brian and the Blame, that's when we met and we became friends. And it's just crazy when you are into something like that and you just get thrown into it sort of by accident. Yeah, it is crazy. I didn't know all these people lived there. Like I knew that, you know, they put on Cornerstone and I didn't know like the correlation that they live there too. So I remember the first week I was there, I was like, what is this? Is this like a Christian, like superstar <laughs> resort? Like, <laughs> Why are all these Christian bands here? This is nuts. And come to find out a lot of them live there. Right. Like even the head noise guys. That's how I met Sid and I became friends and I got saved at a head noise concert. It was nuts. <laughs> so I've known Spike for over you know like 24 years now and brian right. and sid and it's just cool yeah that is cool i thought it was really and, cool. <laughs> i think it's I, and it's also like if you've seen pictures of spike now he's his hairs went from this way yep. to now it's that's it's yep. on the opposite direction it was a spike big, on curly his head beard. and now it went back yep. to the biggest beard you've ever seen in your life yes so yeah Love it. Good conversation. Good conversation. Good to have him on. Good guy too. I'm so glad he took the time um, to chat with us and talk about yeah. it. So let's just get into it. Stop blabbering. Right. I'll, I'll stop. Jeez. No, me. I'm t- no. <laughs> <laughs> let's do it. y'all you just heard voice of defiance by crash dog and we have a special guest this is our very first episode of 2024 season five we actually made it that's amazing yes crazy so uh so we got we got spike here spike is a mechanic for a missionary group called jesus people usa or for those familiar japuza in Uptown in Chicago, Illinois. He's a 
a very a very good cartoonist for scattered thoughts and red jaw cartoons he's a coyote hunter also i want to add a rat hunter we'll talk about that um yeah he's been on the jerry springer show and also on a hunting show that i'm excited to talk about most importantly to the coffee and hardcore listeners and to the podcast itself he's the vocalist for the groundbreaking christian punk band crash dog and we got to get into all of this this is going to be great because spike is a great storyteller and i told him that he needs his own podcast so everyone should Mm -hmm. write us and let us know after you hear it if you agree but i want to talk about everything in the intro i think maybe we should start at how did you become a mechanic for japuza and how did you get to japuza well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. I, um, I, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Kind of when you asked me about this, I thought, Lord, you know, I'm going to have to scratch some serious, uh, memory here. Um, that's some old history. I feel I'm pretty old going <laughs> over this kind of stuff, but, uh, I came to Chicago when I was 16. I grew up in Colorado and I was, uh, 15, 16 years old. I was in the punk scene and I was a rebellious teenager. And uh, by the time I was 16, I just kind of, um, Gave my parents the finger and left home, left school, dropped out of school, and um, just kind of trying to live the punk, uh, what I thought was the cool punk uh, lifestyle, and uh, ultimately just found myself pretty lonely, pretty depressed, um, not as cool and uh, fulfilling as I thought it was going to be. And I had a friend of mine who was coming to Chicago to visit uh, the Jesus people for a year like as a mission stint and he invited me along and just the last minute I was like, hey you should come join me and i i wasn't a believer at the time i had no interest in coming and serving jesus i just thought hey, it's three square meals and a roof over my head and a change of pace so i jumped on a plane with this guy and we came to um chicago and i originally thought only it'd only be here for a month and i'd probably ditch it and go find something else and this is no joke a lot of people think this is um you know, like a, uh, just a, a, a silly uh, antidote or whatever. But I was driving in. The guy from Jesus People had picked us up at the airport, and we were driving in the city. I'd never been in a big city before, so I was looking all around. And um, the guy's like, oh, we're only a few blocks away from the building of Jesus People. And I'm looking around, and I see this gorgeous girl walking down the street with a blonde mohawk. And I turned to my friend and said, oh, I hope to God that girl is a part of Jesus People. <laughs> and um, she was. And uh, it was my future wife. Um, And uh, she's two years older than me. So I was 16 and she was 18. She didn't want anything to do with me. I was a kid uh, to her. And uh, I was just this. And I, I, again, wasn't serving the Lord. So I was totally creeping on her all the time. And she was definitely letting me know that she wasn't interested. And um, I, um, about a month after being at Jesus People, had a, uh, life-changing, born-again experience, and um, uh, gave my life to Christ, and basically decided that I was going to start serving them there, and um, kind of got accepted into this organization. As far as like, that's one of the things I, I really credit Jesus people at the time was like, not too many people were opening their doors to a 16-year-old runaway who wasn't actually a professing Christian, and you know, was a troublemaker and pretty messed up, lost kid, and they give me a chance, you know, and, uh, 38 years later, I, I'm hoping they didn't regret it, but, uh, they, um, <laughs> they, uh, um, you yeah, know, but again, like this six year old kid, I was, I didn't have a job skill. I didn't have, um, 
really any you know thing to offer Jesus people and just uh, uh, another person occupying a bed and eating their food and um, you know they they tried to see what they could where I could fit in and you know I was sweeping them off the floors working in the kitchen and doing odd jobs here and there and eventually I um, ran to the two of the guys who were running the auto shop at the time and I just thought they were cool guys and I asked uh, the leadership team at the time if I could go hang out at the auto shop and. They said sure, and I didn't. I didn't know anything about cars. I couldn't tell you what a spark, where a spark plug was in a car, and they just put me to sweeping floors and cleaning tools, and made me feel accepted, made me feel part of the crew, even though I didn't know anything. And they just gave me small jobs at first, and then they started slowly teaching me. And um, really, the number one thing they didn't do is they didn't fire me when I uh, burned the first car to the ground. Like I was, uh, no I had, <laughs> oh yeah, no, I had discovered this thing in the shop called an acetylene torch. I thought it was the greatest <laughs> thing in the world. Like every repair needed a acetylene torch added to the repair. And, uh, <laughs> so I burned all the cars right to the ground and, you know, in any other shop in the United States, they would just go, oh, yeah, you're not, you're not working here another day, you know, but, Everyone was like, hey, cool, don't worry about it, you know, and just keep at it, you know. And so um, eventually I just started slowly learning things here and there and trial and error and um, hanging out with people who had worked on cars all their life. And so I was just learning by trial and error. And um, eventually down the road, just on my own uh, volition, I ended up uh, seeking out ASC certification. So I'm an ASC certified auto technician now. And um but uh you know it's just something really true is i'm a mechanic by default i uh, i can i have an aptitude to fixing cars and things that just break but i'm really more of a left-brained artist type person but i just i tell people i'm a artist is stuck in a mechanic's body and um and so I do the auto and again that's nothing too like i i only plan on doing the mechanics thing for like a year i'll give it a try and 38 years later, I'm still working on all the cars here. And um, yeah, you have your own shop now. I have my own shop. And, um, you know, a, a few years ago, my wife and I were attending a different church. And my wife made the mistake of telling somebody in the congregation I was a mechanic. And, uh, <laughs> man, I became really popular at the church. You know? <laughs> um, I wanted to always be popular as a kid, just not being this, not this way, you know. And um, so. It's been a blessing in the sense that it's, uh, you know, it's been a way for me to also help a lot of people. I, I don't do it on a commercial sense. I work for the Jesus people as uh, their auto tech. So it's not a, it's for a nonprofit, but even I get a chance to help people uh, who a lot of times can't afford a mechanic. Um, yeah. You should tell so, that story uh, that you posted on Facebook about getting your decals made. I thought that was an amazing story. Well, and again, it's one of those things where you don't realize, like, a lot of times you just get so used to doing it, it becomes second nature and something like that. I had a, um, recently I had a, I'm, I'm kind of a little bit of a hoarder and I'm having to move shops. And so I have all these things I'm having to either figure out how to get rid of, or, and I had this giant piece of quarter inch plate steel that's two foot by six foot long that weighed probably about 300 pounds. And um, I knew, like, I got to do something with this uh piece of plate steel but i don't want to haul it to my new shop so right next to my shop is a sheet metal business that's owned and run by jeans people and one of the guys who's the foreman there uh he he had been through some rough patches in life and 
Uh, honestly, that truth is, it's kind of a blur for me, which I guess shows you how much stuff just kind of comes at me. But, you know, probably six, seven years ago, he was going through some rough times where he, he didn't know if he'd be able to pay his next rent or whatever. And I knew it was going rough for him. And he'd come and ask me to work on his car. And the truth is, I just helped him out as best I could. And I didn't think anything of it at the time. I just did it. Um, he wasn't a member of our community, so I wasn't technically obligated to work on his car, but I'd try to help him out. And he has kids and stuff. Well, fast forward, you know, a couple weeks ago, I asked him, hey, would you be willing to cut up these um, this piece of plate, quarter plate steel? I had a... It's a skull and cross wrenches design I had done years ago. And I just said, hey, could you cut out as many as you can as plate steel? It would be easier for me to transport it. And then I'll have something that I can put on Facebook or eBay to sell later on. Uh, but I just didn't want to carry around this giant piece of plate steel. And so I knew it was a favor I was asking him. And so we put it up on this on this big deck. And he cuts it out on the plasma cutter. And and when he's done, I turned to him and said, hey, uh, what do I owe you? And I pulled my wallet out. I said, what do I owe you? And he goes, uh, you don't owe me nothing, dude. Uh, when I was at my lowest moment in my life and I was eating PBJs and rice, you fixed my car multiple times for nothing. And uh, I'll never forget that. And to be honest, again, like I said, I, I was shocked because I, I totally forgot and didn't even think anything about it. But, um, you know, and that's, that's, that's blessed me in a way that it's like I, I – I, I, I feel like in my life, I'm happiest when I'm either creating something or I'm helping somebody out. And um, and God's given me that opportunity to do a lot of that in my life, whether it's through my skill of fixing things or creating things, whether it's when I was in the band or doing cartooning. You know, any I've got I've got more hobbies than people. My wife always gives me a hard time because I go through a new hobby about every six months and uh she's had the same hobby our entire marriage she's an avid book reader <laughs> and she gets her books from the library so but uh so you know and again that that's uh that's been one of those things that i've been blessed that uh, i've had the skill that's been given to me through the community but i can use it to turn around and and help people and it's super rewarding to me when i do have people come back later on and tell me like hey man you know I was in this bad point and you came out, helped me out or, um, and, uh, yeah. And it's, 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 I'm the type of person, uh, that I, you know, my entire life I felt like, uh, because when I was younger, I didn't feel like I had a job skill. I didn't feel like I belong. Like what's my purpose. And suddenly God's like, hey, I'm going to give you a purpose and that's to help other people. And it's in yeah. this way, I was like, who, do, who, you know, most people in America own a car, so you're going to, you know. Um, and so there's times where I wish I wasn't as, uh, uh, again, like I said, there's times where I wasn't, wish I wasn't as popular as I am. But um, um, I'm learning how to also put up boundaries and things like that. But um, and so basically, yeah, when I first joined uh, G's People, there were six mechanics and I think like 30 vehicles, and now we have way more vehicles, and I'm the last mechanic. So uh, the yeah. math doesn't work. Wow. Um, <laughs> well, and you yeah. do other like side jobs for people, right? Yeah, and and, and again, like yeah, I'll, I'll, people will come to me and, and actually hire me out to work on their stuff because they're thrilled to find out, hey, there's a guy who's a Christian who is not going to rip him off, and uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll definitely 
do it at a at a cheaper, way cheaper rate than what they would probably get done somewhere else. And they, I do it honestly. They know they're not getting ripped off. And it's nice to be able to make some side job money, you know, take my wife on vacation or um, do a yeah. little trip here, a little hunt trip here or there or whatever. But, um, you know, so like I said, it's, uh, but to be honest is if I wanted to, I could move out tomorrow and be making, right. you know, however right. much uh, actual yeah. auto tech yeah. makes. You know, I've never been involved in it for financial gain. So, yep, that's good. Most of, most of my things, you can look at my life and go, yeah, that guy's obviously not doing it for financial gain because he's <laughs> But, uh, they, uh, you know, even being in a band, you know, people were like, oh, my gosh, you're in a band. You're on Jerry Springer. You probably have so much money. You're like, no. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, well let's let's get to that how did crash dog come about i'm actually interested in this story because i love crash dog and i don't know how i'm guessing through the community but what's the actual well, story it is so we were part of you know i'm part of the jesus people and jesus people was founded by this band called resurrection band res band and they 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 music is a core central part of jesus people as far as they had a studio recording studio and they have a lot of musicians and a lot of people and so here we are immersed in in this music kind of ministry um, oriented community. And I can't remember if it was 86 or 87. I went down to Chicago had at the time in Chicago, there was this thing called the Peace Festival, not at all connected with Jesus People. It was just a it was really a, a secular peace festival down at Montrose Hill, not less than you know a half mile three quarters of a mile from our house uh that um local bands would come and play um punk bands hippie bands and we would go down there as jeez people to hand out tracks like that was a big thing of the day and when i joined jeez people was you go out street witnessing all the time like you go out and hand out tracks to people and talk to people about jesus yeah and- tell tell the listeners what tracks are some might not know okay so yeah just like a fold like a sign like a major sign like a folded up piece of paper and it'd have like a topic and kind of introduce you to the, our core belief system. And it was just a way to introduce people to t- a conversation breaker, you know, like, Hey, would you take this track about Jesus? And, um, I would make little punk sign ones, you know, and I would hand them out to people. And, you know, I was burning up all the Xerox, uh, toner, <laughs> and, uh, people, you know, making these little track signs and stuff. And part of my artistic outlet, but, I was really on fire for, you know, I still am, but at the time it was like really double dipped in. Like, I just want to share this experience with everybody else. And so I went down to this peace festival and I'm like, again, 16, 17 year old kid with a painted leather jacket and my hair up and spikes. (laughs) And, um, I'll send you some pics if you want, but, uh, Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. For promotion for sure. Yeah. And so then I'm down there and, uh, every time there was a, a, a band switch, you know, where they're tearing down and switching between bands, uh, somebody would get up and, and share their message, whether it was uh, the Buddhists were getting up or like uh, people for the legalization of marijuana. Um, any any type of like real fringe um, philosophies or, you know, whatever they were getting up and sharing. And as a 17 year old kid, it suddenly hit me like, this is my opportunity. So I went over to the stage manager and I said, can I get signed up on the list to talk about peace? I've got a message about peace. And he's looking at me and going, yeah, it's just punk kid. 
Yeah. <laughs> if I had told him I'm a born again Christian, I want to talk about peace, he'd have been like, get lost. So, um, uh, you know, I waited, I don't know how many bands I waited for until I finally, like, okay, you're up. And I get up on the stage and it's in front of probably 300, you know, hippies, punks, burnouts, just at least the dregs of Chicago, you know, and I get up and I off the cuff sharing about the difference between temporal peace and eternal peace. And then I just talk about eternal, uh, temporal peace is like, you got your weed and your girlfriend and your record, but what happens when your girl dumps you, you get busted for weed and your record gets a scratch on it. You know, it's like that, <laughs> that's, that's temporal peace. And everyone in the crowd is like, yeah, man. Yeah. And it's like, but I want to tell you about eternal peace. The piece that doesn't matter when your girl dumps you and your record gets scratched and you get busted by the cops. And the only way you can get that eternal peace, and everyone's on board with me up to this point. Yeah. Like, the only way you can get that eternal peace is by giving your life to Jesus Christ. And I mean, beer bottles get whipped at me, spit on me, cussed at me. Um, and, and I even said at the thing at the time, I was like, am I at a peace rally? Because it turned so volatile. I mean, these people were screaming and yelling at me. And and I didn't get angry or upset, but I just kind of laughed and I said, hey, thank you for your time. Just want to let you know Jesus loves you. And I hope you guys uh, really think about that. And so I walked home and was wiping the spit off and the beer. And um, and, I, and, I, and as a young Christian, I said, well, that was a waste. Uh, that was a failure. And a year later... One year later, this guy joins the Jesus people, and one of our pastors was asking him, well, how did you come to know Jesus? And he says, well, I was at this peace festival, <laughs> and this little kid got up with uh, spikes up on his hair, and he talked about Jesus. And at the time, I just thought it was a joke. But that night, I went home, and in my basement, I got on my knees, and I prayed and gave my life to Jesus. Wow. And um, so you know, it was pretty powerful for me to see you know, that, uh, you know, it took a year, but, you know, seeing that, uh, you know, the scripture, you, you, we, we're, we're, our job is just to plant the seed. Somebody else is going to water it. God's going to make it grow. You just have to be faithful. And, uh, but when I was walking home that night, it hit me. I said, uh, thought to myself, you know, if I was in a band, I'd have a whole set. I'd have 45 minutes to share about the peace of Jesus Christ instead of just a five-minute spiel. Yeah. So I came home, I talked to a couple of the pastors at Jesus people at the time, and just said, hey, I'd really like to think about starting to start a band. And um, they were like, well, do you know how to play any music? I said, I don't know nothing. I don't know. I'm not, I'm the most musically non-talented person you'll ever meet. I mean, you will probably not interview anyone else as more musically untalented as I am. Um, <laughs> but... I just had the determination that the reason why I wanted to get a band together was so I could share the hope and love of Jesus Christ to people. And so there was a couple, the word kind of spread around Jesus people. And there was a couple of guys about my age who were like, Hey, I'll, I'll help you out. And we were all young guys who were literally barely knew how to play the instruments we were, we were using, but, um, and we all came from four different, uh, musical backgrounds most guys who get into bands, correct me if I'm wrong, but most guys who get into bands generally have a genre they've all oh, been yeah. following. I would yeah. say so, yeah. And it was a curse and a blessing for us as Crash Dog because, uh, first of all, we couldn't even agree on what 4-4 time was. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
literally there'd be almost fist fights in the studio like this is four four time you know the people be fighting and yelling and i I don't even know what four four time is as the singer you know but um uh, a lot of arguments about the technical side of music uh, but one of the blessings about that was at the time when Crash Dog was kind of getting its feet under himself, uh, ourselves, was um, you could hear other bands that you knew exactly at the albums that everyone in the band was listening to. They were so cookie cutter mm-hmm. to other bands they were listening to. We, yeah. we had so many bizarre background influences that... Um, we couldn't even agree on what we wanted to sound like. We couldn't agree on what we were going to name our band. There was f- almost fistfights over what we we're going to call it. Uh, it got called Crash Dog because uh, our guitar player's six-year-old son decided that's what we needed to call our band. And it's literally the only way we ever got the name Crash Dog was because a six-year-old kid gave it to us. That's, um, that's awesome. That's yeah. the best. But but we like you you couldn't find two four guys who I mean we'd fight and argue and yell about things all the time and uh, it's a miracle that no one got their teeth bust out and uh, but I think it helped also in our sound because um, we were unique enough uh, uh, that I think people we weren't trying to follow a, what the trend was you know that that was a time in music when a lot of bands are trans going from hardcore to uh thrash mm-hmm. and i just I, that's not something that i'm not saying that i don't uh, that i don't respect it it just wasn't these these were all people who could play us under the ground technically uh that just wasn't our style it wasn't something i vibed with as far as music style technically these most of those bands could destroy us um but it just is a sound wise i was looking way more towards like um i i personally liked uh, early hardcore and late 70s punk more feel and um i um but again it just like um the fact that we could actually produce one album was a miracle in itself because we just argued and fought and um literally when you i wish i would have recorded videotaped a recording studio uh, when uh they How many were you on studio. three three of the records? Yeah. So I was in uh Humane Society, um, Pursuit of Happiness, and Mud Angels. And we actually put out a little cassette tape before that. Um uh I forgot what the name of that uh was called, but you did the Finch um, Pinch or was that later? No, I didn't do Finch Pinch. Oh, and one didn't. of the famous no, no, I left at, I left at Mud Angels, uh, right? Uh, the tour that supported Mud Angels in 94 is when I left the band. Um, and then Andrew the, took over. Yeah. So our guitar player at the time, Andrew, when I was leaving, everyone, and the thing about when I was leaving the band, um, I, I'm jumping in, you know, in chronological order here. Right, but, sorry, uh, sorry. No, oh, no, it's fine. But when I, when I, when I left, chose to leave the band, um, it was right when Crash Dog was really starting to get itself going. And and everyone was looking at me like, you are an absolute freaking idiot. Uh, the band was <laughs> upset with me. Uh, people in my church here were like, you're out of your ever loving mind, dude. Like this, this is the biggest opportunity you're going to have in your life. And I mean, I had a pastor who told me that like, you will regret this for the rest of your life. You're going to regret this every day, the rest of your life that you left this band and uh, this is going to be the biggest thing that you're going to look back and go, I, I, you know, I wish I would have stayed in there, you know, blah, blah. And, and to be honest, 30, almost 30 years later, 
Not a day's gone by where I've been so thankful I made the decision <laughs> that I left the band. And uh, I, it's, I look back and go, it's actually one of the best decisions I made. And not saying that to trash people in bands or other people's decisions, but for myself personally, uh, I have a running joke about that. And my wife always gets really annoyed with me when I tell it. But, um, you know, one of the reasons why I left the band was the number one reason why I left the band was uh, we were on tour and uh, 94 and I was I had we'd spent a significant time away from our families and our support group. And I just woke up in the middle of tour thinking I stood up in front of a church to made a commitment to a woman. I never stood up in front of a church to make a commitment to this band. And I had met a, I had met a large enough group of guys that um, had been in bands for way longer than I had that had really caused a lot of um, stress in their marriage. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm not saying it's to sound judgmental towards anybody else. I just, for myself, was like, that's not what I want to have. And um, one of the key things, I, my wife and I used to head up uh, marriage counseling, um, like pre-marriage counseling edgiest people and we used to do a lot of pre-marriage counseling for people and i would tell these young men it's like every woman needs two things in life they need trust and honor they need to know that they are they can trust you and they also need to know that you're they're number one in your life and when you give that to them they will uh your marriage will flourish and uh, i would tell people man when i left the band and my wife knew it was because i was putting her first the sex was so good. If I had known, <laughs> if, if I had known it was going to be that good, I'd have left five five years earlier. I mean, it was like, <laughs> dang. And so, um, <laughs> so I um, word of advice to any young man <laughs> in bands, but uh, uh, um, but um, you know, so you know, again. Back chronologically going backwards here because we're kind of I jumped way ahead there, but you know that was we, my fault. No, that's fine. Um, you know we uh, we fought and argued and we put out an album. And the great thing about being a part of the Jews people was is that it was very supportive of what we were doing. Um, yeah, because they recorded. You were on Gur, right? And they recorded all the records and all that. Yeah, so we were on their girl record label, and they really like, hey, this is something we want to push and promote. And uh, I mean, we still all had our regular day jobs. It wasn't like we were sitting on, on uh, whatever. I mean, we would work all day and come home and and practice and record and write in the evenings, and uh, just like you know, every other band. It wasn't like they gave us days off or yeah. Um, but we also had the opportunity to go to use their equipment. And, um, and so, um, you know, just, uh, again, for me, my, my main goal in crash dog was I wanted to share, um, the gospel with people. And the funny thing was when somebody had mentioned this thing to me and it was completely by accident, but it wasn't anything we had tried to do or I hadn't tried to do intentionally. It was, if you look at a lot of crash dog songs, um, just based on the song it's not a real straightforward gospel it's addressing a lot of issues social issues a lot of things that we felt like a lot of christians weren't addressing at the time and not again for me i'm not saying that it's unjudgmental like we were so much better than everybody else i said that's what we felt led like 
Jesus would like us to talk about the poor. Jesus would like us to talk about injustices in this country. Um, Jesus would like us to talk about uh, these different social issues that we need to address. Um, but when I would do live shows, you know, I had no problem talking about uh, the Lord and about Jesus. And um, it wasn't like we were trying to sneak. It's just when we would sit down to write, these were things that kind of came up and we talk about and Andrew was a lot more socially yeah conscious than I was um, for the listeners Andrew also went on to do ballet dows yeah yeah and so um they um there was always kind of a tug of war and not in a not in a negative way Andrew and I worked pretty good together where Andrew uh, would always kind of encourage me to um he would challenge me to rethink a, a song I'd written and like, how can we change this a little bit? Or uh, how can we address this issue? Or, uh, and I appreciated that always that kind of nudge. Cause to be honest, to this day, I still um, uh, kind of uh, hear his voice. Even though I'm not writing music, I might be write, drawing a cartoon or I might be doing something else. And he's one of those people kind of sitting on my shoulder thinking like, what would make this better? How could you kind of challenge, you know, whatever. And, um, so, um, you know, and then you, know, you kind of blink and you do a second album. And I think it was on our second album, our girl records got a phone call from Jerry Springer show. Yes. And um, they, uh, it was 92 and, um, Jerry Springer at the time wasn't the notorious crazy, you know, he didn't have like skinhead lesbians uh, finding out who their pregnancy yeah. was, whatever. He was, he was still trying to be a little bit more mainstream, but uh, you know, it's popular show. And they said, Oh, we're going to do a show about alternative methods of sharing the gospel. And they wanted crash dog. They had a bunch of different people on there. They and had so the, the Jesus biker guy, right? Yeah, they had the Jesus biker guy. And then the and lady the, who wrote the Bible that was... What street was slang. It? Street slang, yep. Yep. And, and, you know, and met her wonderful lady, like just really sweet uh, sister in Christ. And and then they had us come down. I think we actually caught the L train down there because it was just downtown. It wasn't like we <laughs> had that. Yeah. Um, and then... Um, you know, I'm just clueless. I just showed up and they originally hit, and they had lied to me. They had said, I'm shocked. I know everyone on the show is going to be shocked that the Jerry Springer show lied to you, but uh, they, uh, they lied to me and said that I would only perform a song. That's all we would be doing. And I was totally cool with that. Um, but then they were like, Oh no, they were miking me up for a, um, like a mini mic. And yeah. I was told the lady, heck way. like, no, no, I'm just going to sing into my microphone. She goes, Oh no, no, you're going to be on a panel. I'm finding this out <laughs> 10 minutes before I'm going on the show. And I mean, it's just, I'm like 21. And I mean, if anyone who knows me, I, I can put my foot in my mouth so fast. And I, if I don't have a script, you know, it's like, is that oh why my. Tom Crozier or not? But who was it that Tom Cameron came on? Yeah. Tom Cameron came <laughs> yeah. on as their representative. And yeah, so I that was just probably helped he, a little bit. Yeah. And I was hoping he'd do most of the talking, but you know, Jerry kept asking me questions and one of the things that's really kind of funny, and most people probably, they probably edited it out or it didn't seem as big a deal when you watch it on TV as when it was in real life. But I can't remember a song I wrote 
to recite a song if somebody that. asks me about the middle verse. I have to start at the very beginning. I can't. Yeah, I'm that same exact way. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's how people's minds are written or wired. But uh, Jerry asked me, like, tell me the last three lines on that one song. And I literally like national television. Like, uh, yeah, it wasn't. I didn't and, think it was that bad, though. <laughs> yeah. Well, and uh, somehow, miracle of God, I remember the line. But uh, um, what they also didn't tell us was that they're going to have uh, in the audience a very uh, religious group oh. <laughs> of Baptists that were going to try to antagonize us and try to stir yeah. the pot. He was pretty bad. Well, and the funny thing was it didn't work because um they they were hoping that we'd get upset and it'd turn into like a you know right like no a jerry springer show the, yeah no one on the show told me like we want you to cuss this guy out no one said anything like that but you could see that they were trying to stir up some drama and it just we didn't take the bait we were just like god bless you you know you have a different way of thinking about it we hope the best for you like you know this guy's very misguided pastor um very angry very judgmental and the funny thing was which they don't tell you show you on the show when we were done with everything as they're shutting stuff down about 10 of people from his congregation came up to us and said you know we just want to say thank you so much for what a witness you were um that's awesome and, yeah and so like again it's like we're on national tv we're not gonna sit there and scream and yell at you and like that would be well you wouldn't so do that anyways perfect. Well, there's some people who pushed me to it at Jesus people, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank God I wasn't on national television. But there's some people at Jesus people tell you different. But um, they, um, but you know, and so for me, it was one of those things where, I, again, we did this thing like didn't think much about it. But you know, you'd be at like a, I was at like a, I don't know, a, a, I'm trying to think of the like a Huddle House or some white trash restaurant down south, like. Six months later, and this lady walks up to me. So like, I see you on the Jerry Springer show. You know, it's just like it's kind of hilarious. Like you know, um, yeah, because you were very he, recognizable back then too. I yeah, mean, right yeah. now, but yeah, but you know, and uh, so um, for me, I was excited that like you know, there's no regrets. I mean, I think most people would look and go, "Oh my God, I was on the Jerry Springer show because I you know found out my boyfriend was cheating on me." And, you know, I can look back honestly 30 years later and go, you know, I'm, I'm really proud of the fact that uh, there's nothing I regret. I don't regret about getting up and sharing the hope of Jesus Christ and being kind to brave people. Um, yeah, I thought it was a great and, episode. Well, thank you. And uh, and so then, um, you know, we came out. And again, we're just grinding away and doing this. And I had no idea, I guess, again, um, because my main intention was not, I'm not a musician. And I really never wanted to be in the band to be in a band. Like, I'm just not, that's not, I, I'd be a liar to say like, I, I'm not saying I was faking it. I really wanted to try to be the best I could be at it. But it, um, I think there's some people that just come naturally to them who they are and they'll be doing that till the day they die and God bless them. That's awesome. I more power to you. For me, uh, it, I felt like I was a fish out of water most of the time because my main intention was I really just wanted to meet people and share God's love with them. And um, another thing that kind of like I had another poignant moment. I mean, there's tons of crazy moments that happened in those those years that I was in the band. Uh, but I had this thing that happened to me that I had carried on 
to this day. And it was one of the festivals. And, uh, and again, like I said, we were pretty outspoken about like social change and all these different things were kind of, and I look back now at some of these lyrics I wrote, I thought, man, you know, for being an 18 year old kid, I sure knew a whole lot about the world. You know, I mean, <laughs> I was some smart kid, you know, you know, now there's a lot of things that I don't on a social level may not agree with, you know what I mean? Or I, I, I may have a different view slightly or maybe a more broader view. So you're um, saying from when you were a kid to now your views have changed a little bit from when you, the lyrics you wrote in the band? I mean, I, my, my worldview has changed because my worldview yeah. is broadened. I mean, when I was 17, right. yeah, I thought I would I, hope I, so. Yeah. I, had it out. I mean, right. here's, here's the, who are the bad people and here's who are the good people. And, uh, and so it's not that kind of right. No. And that even caused conflict of us internally in the band because, um, there was people who had very strong political viewpoints that I just didn't agree with. And of course we're only one band and there's only one album and there's only going to be one track, you know? And it's like, uh, and that caused some conflict because I was like, yeah, just, I don't, I don't track with that or I don't vibe with that notion. Um, and it's a, it is a slippery slope. I'm just be honest with you is there's a very slippery slope that I have, watched um in my life uh working at cheese people and you know when i was in crash dog is c.s lewis talks about uh people attaching politics to christianity and he he says it pretty strongly like he says it's not gonna work um but uh, um you know to me at some point in time uh it's very difficult to juggle the hope of the christian message if you're also hyper focusing on political issues at the same time, and it, 38 years of being a Christian, I've seen way too many people who've, uh, at one point or another, are going to get absorbed by the political movement more than they are their faith in Christ. You know, what I'm saying at, at some point in time. And Mick knows what you're but, saying more than I do. <laughs> And I'm not saying that to sound super judgmental, but what I'm saying is, is for me, um, if if the message I want to believe in is that even if I don't agree with you politically, I can still love. I'm actually still required to love you, whether I want to or not. Uh, uh, but when you hyper focus, politics are designed to divide and separate. Christianity. Yeah. Christianity and and I when I say Christianity, Jesus Christ is believing in Jesus is to bring us together. And um I can sit at a table with people who have very different worldviews, very different political views, different social views. And if we're deciding that, you know, before Christ, those things are not important, we're gonna love him first, and then we're going to work together to try to further his kingdom. That to me is what the body of Christ is. But I've had so many people, long-term friends of mine here at these people who've um who have felt justified in saying some pretty ugly things to me because of a political reason. And I'm like, wow, you you what? Like, and um, so even if you follow my cartoons, yes, you'll see that I address that a lot. And really uh, yep. I try to show people that that it's pretty futile to um, put your hope. I mean, human nature doesn't change. Um, you know, uh, 2,000 years ago, people were really wanting a Messiah that was going to be a political answer to the Roman occupation. 
and they were very disappointed with Jesus Christ. So much, they nailed him to the cross. And so uh, um, I think that to this day, we're still looking for those answers where it's like, I want a Jesus or I want a church that's going to go in and kick this other church's butt uh, or this other political, you know, and now you have a, a, a Christian nation that's supposedly a Christian nation that's divided between the ultra right wing Christians and the progressive Christians. And as a guy in the middle, I'm looking at both of them and going, you, you really actually aren't that far apart from each other because your, your answer to uh, anything that you disagree with is uh, vitriol and shame. And uh, I mean, the people that have come against me through my cartooning on social media, uh, Christians who have said things, it's just like, holy smokes, you know? And so just because I disagree with them about something. Um, so with Crash Dog, that was like my main thing was like, I, um, we were trying to bring, a, a, you know, attention to these things, but I, back to my main point was I had a person backstage at a festival. I can't remember what Cornerstone Festival was. It had to be like 93 or 92 backstage after a show. And all these young people were asking me questions about certain things, my opinions on certain issues. And this young woman, I don't know who, I never seen her since, don't know who she was. But if I could ever meet her again, I'd tell her what an influence her comment made. She asked me in the middle of all this stuff, she was, but what are you doing about it? Oh. Hmm. Uh, getting in a band and singing about it? Uh, and she's like, no, no, no. But what are you doing about it? And it really struck home to me that you can get up and sing songs about our unjust world. But unless you're actually feeding the poor, visiting the people in prison, you know what I'm saying? Like doing, um, it's not, it's the uh, clanging cymbals. It's it's just noise. And she wasn't, I didn't get a vibe from this girl. She was there to judge me or make me feel like crap or uh, whatever. But it really was a lightning bolt moment in my life of thinking, yeah, I can get up on stage and just sit there and tell people all day long, like, you know, this is what we need to be doing for the kingdom, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, what am I specifically doing in my life? And um, that's a challenge. Again, another hurt. She's another person sitting in my in my back behind me, kind of remind me, but what are you doing about it? And um, that's crazy. So, it still sticks with you. That's crazy. Yeah. And it, it's a positive thing. It's not a condemning. It's not angry. Right. It's not obsession. It's, uh, and, you know, Bible says, you know, um, faith without works is dead, you know, and, um, uh, and you know, um, so for me, it's like uh, trying to live out that gospel. Um, and, and, and it's interesting in that because uh, I don't try to do it in a way of like, uh, I think a lot of times people get hung up in the fact of like, oh, I got to do that so I can earn respect from other people or earn love from God. And uh, honest got you this. I've just been waking up every day and like, what do you got on the plate, Lord? Uh, and uh, so I uh, kind of catching up to chronologically 94, I leave the band, um, decide that I'm, um, you know, really going to put my marriage first. And right around that same time, I had decided to start a boys program in a homeless shelter that we run. Jesus People runs a homeless shelter. Um, just out of nowhere, just said, you know, I'm going to run an after school boys program. And 
So between six-year-old and 12-year-old boys in a shelter could come to this program we did, and I had other volunteers. We helped out. We got the kids involved with uh, activities and just trying to make these kids feel good. And one of the things we did was if it was a boy's birthday um, who was living in the shelter, we would buy a cake and get presents and make this kid feel like he was king for the day. And there was kids in the shelter who had never had a birthday this good. And knew they probably weren't ever going to have a birthday this good once they moved out. There was kids who were moving out of our shelter who were upset, which is really crazy. You'd think a kid would be upset he's moving out of shelter. But because they knew their birthday was coming up in a month. Oh. And they weren't going to get that, that birthday that Spike and his wife were going to give him. And um, so... I never particularly singled out a certain kid, but there's kids who like, you know, really into this program, really wanted to like connect with my wife and I. There's this one kid, young kid named Bobby. And he, at the time he was six, he just like thought my wife and I were the greatest in the world. And uh, we, we were friendly with them and stuff, but we never really like did anything with them outside the shelter or program. But his family, eventually his mom and three sisters moved out of our shelter. And this is back in the day. This again, I'm going to have to make a reference point here. This is the day before cell phones and social media. So when people moved out of our shelter, there was, we lost contact with them. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't have any way to keep in touch with these people. And uh, three months after Bobby's family moved out, one day somebody's like, hey, Spike, someone's on the phone for you. So I walked down the hallway, pick up the phone, and it's like, it's, it's Bobby. That's amazing. He's like, hey, Spike, uh, you know what yesterday was? And I was like, no, Bobby, what was yesterday? He goes, it was my birthday. And I could tell he was reaching out to me. Yeah. And, and I had no obligation to him other than just to say, well, happy birthday. You know, like uh, he wasn't in our shelter anymore. And I could have tried to explain it to a seven-year-old kid, but that's not what he was calling for. Right. And so I lied to him. I just said, well, Bobby, we knew that. And we have a cake and we have presents waiting for you. We just don't know where you live. And he, I could hear him yelling on the phone to his siblings. I knew it. I told you. I told you. And uh, so I was like, Bobby, what's the address? So he, he gives us our address. I said, we're coming home. We're coming down there tonight. And so I turned to Amy. I said, I don't know what you got planned for tonight. But we're going to the south side. And we stopped at Jewel and Toys R Us and loaded up. And um, that started the well, and that started this ball rolling with him where I was like, okay, for Christmas, we went down. And then we picked him up for some other things. And then eventually, um, I got involved in the Boy Scout troop. And then eventually, uh, you know, I, I got involved with his Boy Scout troop. So I was driving back and forth to the south side every weekend, uh, making sure he went to Boy Scouts. And um, eventually, his neighborhood got so violent, his uh, mom and I started talking. And she asked if I could have him come live with us on, at nor on the north side of the G's people. And so uh, he moved in with my wife and I, and we raised him, co-raised him with his mom. Uh, we'd bring him home on the weekends, and um, um, he was the closest thing I'll ever have to having a son. Um, we never put a title on that. We just, like, him and I were, like, just friends, so it was never, like, dad, son kind of thing. Like, I never called him my son because he, I didn't want him to feel his weird pressure and vice versa, but... Um, he eventually graduated from our, our school, and then he went out to, ironically, get a job less than 20 minutes away from where I grew up in Colorado. In Colorado, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Then he gets a scholarship to play rugby for Wyoming University. He gets a business degree, 
and now he's he's uh, got a fiance and our first granddaughter. And yeah, um, I saw that on Facebook. That's awesome. amazing. Yeah, so he's living this successful dream outside in out Wyoming, and uh, his mom on a regular basis will let me know, you know, let us both know my wife and I how much uh, we saved his child, her saved yeah. saved her child, and a lot of the kids who grew up in that neighborhood aren't doing as well as Bobby is, you know. Um, and so, um, you know, when that girl said, well, what are you doing about it? You know, uh, yeah. there, there is a point where I can say, well, and I wasn't doing that, any of that out of the sense of like, I got to look good or I got to somehow get this lady to show up in my brain. But, you know, I did it because there was an opportunity in front of me to choose yeah. to do the right thing or to do uh, just to blow this kid off. And uh, it grew into this thing where basically now um, – we we have this thing that we're very proud of and we're very proud of Bobby and the decisions he's made. And uh, now we have a little granddaughter we can hold and hug. And, um, and so that's a huge part of our um, life in the sense of like living out that gospel of reaching out to somebody who Bobby was a kid at risk. He's a young man without a father. And, and in Chicago, that's bad news, you know, um, easy way to get involved in gangs and bad things. And yeah. so, um, um and then you know uh eventually and of course again just like there's just so many crazy things that happen in my life on a regular basis i kind of started uh um just it's this crazy adventure like every week i think what's the next thing the lord's gonna have me get involved in but uh our organization jeez people owned the property that we put cornerstone music festival on which is about six to eight hundred acres of amazing property in west central illinois so there was lots of hunting and fishing opportunities when the festival wasn't going on so my wife and i had a little trailer down there and we go down on the weekends and i also took bobby down there like bobby grew up and just and going down in rural in bushnell right illinois. yeah bushnell yeah. and um they uh, uh got him into hunting and into fishing I got in, that's why I, that's where I did all my hunting and fishing for years. And, um, around 2005 or so, I went through a pretty life transforming moment in my life. And it's way too long to explain on this podcast, but basically it's, I think most people in their Christian walk go through a moment where they have a very severe conflict with either spiritual leadership or somebody in the church that causes them to rethink about everything. They, it's almost like a, I don't know if the word cognitive shift or whatever you call it, but a big, and, and a lot of people end up actually just falling away from the Lord. Like there's a lot of people who, if you have a huge run with somebody who's in spiritual leadership, it's very hard to discern your Christian walk in that arena, you know? And so I've met so many people who've just walked away from Christianity and it's really unfortunate, but, uh, that point, I was thankful that I was. I already had such a, a wonderful, deep relationship with God that it was never even a cr- cr- question in my life whether I was going to keep following Jesus. It was just suddenly I had to reframe and rethink: uh, if my pastors are wrong about this, what else are they wrong about? And I just literally started thinking about all like whoa, whoa. and then it started making me think about uh, all the things I've ever been taught and raised in from when I was a child about the Bible and about Christianity and. And all this stuff is tons of material for cartooning. And I've drawn cartoons since I was a little kid. I've doodled, I've drawn doodles, what I would call doodles. But to actually draw a single panel cartoon that is a joke is called a gag cartoon. 
And so um, I started drawing gag cartoons almost as a uh, therapeutic catharsis for this painful issue I was going through in our community. You said this was 2005? Yeah, it was around 2005. And um, I just started drawing random cartoons. And, and a buddy of mine who's a professional cartoonist who used to live at Jesus Bible years ago, Kevin Franks, he, he was like, I sent something to him just to show him what I was doing. He's like, man, you need to submit some of this stuff to Christianity Today. And at the time, Christianity Today magazine was the largest Christian magazine in America. It was a um, print magazine. And I told him right off the bat, I already have enough rejection in my life. I don't need any more. <laughs> I don't really need people I don't know telling me I suck. I've already got people I do know telling me. But uh, <laughs> so, um, so I, uh, he kept bugging me about it. So I sent in a couple cartoons, and right off the bat, they bought a couple from me. And I was, wow. I got I, I got it way too easy early because they loved a few of my first cartoons, but then trying to convince them to buy more down the road was a lot more difficult. But uh, but it was like such a boost for me. Like, oh my gosh, like that's a child. That was a childhood dream for me because I love cartoons ever since I was a little kid, like opening up yeah. the paper, seeing cartoons and thinking one day maybe I might have a cartoon published. And I remember when that magazine came out, I mean, I went down and bought every issue out of the Christian local Christian bookstore. <laughs> and you know, sending them to all my relatives and like, look yeah. at me, you know, made it in the magazine. And um, that's huge, that's huge, though. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, it was just like the same feel as when the record first came out, you know, yeah. like your first record, you know. And so, um, and then I, you know, I was drawing faith based cartoons, but again, a lot of the stuff was just um, kind of helping me in a way of rethinking, um challenging some of the viewpoints I'd been raised to think about and trying to do it in a little bit of a humorous tone. Um, and then um, I'm all, I was also hunt, doing a lot of hunting at the time. And so I sent uh, two coyote hunting. I'm really big into hunting coyotes. I sent two to a, a, the largest coyote hunting magazine in America. Predator Extreme was the name, is the name of the magazine. And I just randomly sent them to the editor and, he wrote me back and said, I love these. Uh, can you supply us with enough for a year? Wow. And I mean, I, I only drew two, and that's all I had. <laughs> <laughs> and I, again, uh, lied to the guy and said, sure, totally. And uh, I sat there with a blank piece of paper trying to figure out how to come up with six more cartoons, you know. But um, And I got lucky with that guy because that editor, his name is Mark Olis, he, he's is literally one of the nicest editors, nicest guys you'll ever meet. He's done more to help me promote my career as far as a cartoonist and a writer. He's the first person to ever encourage me to write. I was like, dude, I, I can't string a paragraph together without like 16 misspellings and punctuation, you know, whatever, screw-ups. And even my wife yeah. was like, when this guy was encouraging me to write, I was like, really? Like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Like my husband, like I'm like borderline illiterate, you know, um, my wife taught high school English for 18 years. So she's, I talk about opposites attracting, you know? Um, so <laughs> she, our, my first article I ever wrote for a magazine, it had to have seven rewrites because my wife is very fussy about everything. With oh, like, so she was <laughs> like your editor before you turned it in. Oh yeah. Yeah, I've got the greatest. I mean, not only is the loving great, but the editing is perfect too. <laughs> you know, so it's like um, they, I'm, I, I got the whole package. You know, but um, they um, and uh, even with my cartooning, like I'll draw a cartoon and 
uh, you know, my wife was like, hey, you spelled cat wrong again, but uh, <laughs> um, C-A-T. Um, but, um, you know, and I, um, I just started growing. And what was bizarre, and this is a, a funny twist in my life journey, is like suddenly I'm getting hunting cartoons published in magazines all over the country, uh, different uh, white-tailed deer hunting magazines, uh, hog hunting magazines. And people are eating this stuff up because in the hunting world, there's just not too many. Most, my cartoonist friend, my professional cartoonist friend said, you have an inside advantage that most people don't, and that is you actually hunt. Because most people who draw hunting cartoons, you know they're not a hunter because they just, it's, <laughs> you can tell. Um, really? You think so, you would need to be, right? I... You'd think, you'd think. But um, yeah. so these people instantly knew. I mean, rural people all over North America were like, this dude gets us. He gets the hunting jokes. He's, this is written by a hunter. Mm-hmm. And um, suddenly, like, and of course, this is right around the same time I'm starting to do Facebook um uh, posting stuff on facebook suddenly i'm getting all these invites and friend requests and people are blown away by these cartoons and then they're like wait a second you're from chicago like they can't <laughs> yeah to this day people cannot connect that reality like wait you just drew a really funny cartoon about hunting white-tailed deer and you live in you live in <laughs> in the inner city of Chicago, and then you're a part of this religious organization. Like they just, it, the mind blowing. They just, their heads are exploding. You know. Well, Spike, so, let me let me ask you this question just real quick, because so yeah. scattered thoughts cartoons is like uh, your religious ones and just stuff about no. daily. No, scattered thoughts cartoons is all my hunting and fishing cartoons. Oh, that's your hunting one. So what's yeah. Red Jaw. Red Jaw cartoons is all my faith-based. And then just... Okay, I had it backwards. Not okay. anything else like that. No, that's that's fine. I, I'm dyslexic too, so, you know... Well, they, I, have um, both, I have both yeah. of your books, actually, at work. Oh, well, thank you, man. I'm and honored. I, and I was looking through them, and I must have just... No, yeah, that's happened. <laughs> uh, and, I, and I mix things up sometimes, too. Like, sometimes I'll cross certain things. And, you know, like, I had a cartoon. And, and that's another thing, too. Like, people in the rural settings seeing stuff drawn about hunting and then throwing a little bit of faith stuff in. You know, um, you know when you shoot an animal, uh, uh, sometimes they run off and you got to go find this animal. And there's this thing called blood trailing. So you're trying to find the blood trail. And anyone who's ever hunted seriously for white-tailed deer, wild pigs, coyotes, and things that you better get good at blood trailing. It can be very tedious and difficult. Um, and um, uh, so I drew a cartoon, and this was a serious cartoon. It wasn't a aha cartoon. It was more of a serious thing. But one Easter, I drew a cartoon where you see the hillside with a trail of blood going up to the three crosses, and it just says, "This hunter follows the ultimate blood trail." And um, I've had that shared uh, countless times by people all over the, you know, uh, the world yeah. because you're a hunter and you're faith-based, then you get that concept. But um, they, um, um, you know, I had another one too. Like I drew one, a silly one where it's two guys out in the woods and the one guy's like, you know, after spending all this money and time on hunting, I have to ask myself, what would Jesus do? And the other guy says, he wouldn't miss. And it's a joke. <laughs> 
If Jesus had put all that time and money into it, he's going to make sure the animal's dead. But, um, <laughs> but you know, and it's so, it's like uh, one of the greatest blessings, and it was one of the original intentions for me to with Crash Dog was with cartooning is uh, I'm not making, and I've never had the fantasy of making a ton of money off cartooning, um, but it has opened up so many doors to meet so many people in in realms I would never have a chance have a chance to connect with. I mean, I have friends of mine deep, deep south, uh, backwoods, redneck, hardcore. They don't even like people outside their county who like my cartoons have invited me to come down and hunt with them, and. Um, made long-lasting friendships with these people, and they have told me openly, if you'd have told me 10 years ago I was going to be friends with some guy from Chicago, I'd be like, hell no. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you make somebody laugh, and it opens a door. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I have a situation right now where uh, a friendship I met, and it's a bizarre connection, but... Um, there's a woman I'm friends with uh, through Instagram. She's an artist. I'm an artist. She's Native American. She definitely and understandably has uh, apprehensions towards Christianity. Oh yeah, not not, of course. not a big fan. Not a big fan of white people. <laughs> uh, she likes my cartoons, and uh, we connected, and we've uh, maintained a friendship for three years now, and. Uh, it shows you that to me, it's the opposite of politics. If her and I were holding to our true politics, we would never even talk to each other. Yeah. But because we can laugh at certain things together and we found the things that we can enjoy and chuckle about, and because uh, we've been uh, chose to, intentionally chose to uh, respect each other's viewpoints, um, We've maintained this friendship that most of the people don't understand how that works. Um, because what the world wants is they want you to make sure, like, well, let me just tell you how I'm right and you're wrong. And um, she's never got on my page and told me if I I know I've drawn cartoons that she probably didn't like, and she's never got on there to tell me how bad I am or messed up I am. And, um, and vice versa, there's things that she posts on her social media that I'm like, oh, cringy at, but I'm like, you know, I'm not her life coach. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. I drew a cartoon a while back and it said uh, it's just a cartoon of me and then it just has a little saying above it. It says, It's not my job to change people's minds, it's my job to love people. Um and uh I can't remember exactly how it says, but it's something like uh and uh uh and pray that the Holy Spirit, you know, or it's the Holy Spirit's job to change people, it's not my job. And right now he has his hands pretty full with me. And, uh, you know, it's just the idea that walking in that humility of going, even though I am, even though I'm born a Christian and I believe I serve the one and only true God, I am, um, I, I need, it's not my job to force people to believe, to believe my religion. It's my job to just lead, hopefully I have a good example of love and understanding. And, and I'll tell you an interesting story about this woman. Uh, she, she prays. Is it my job to make sure she prays to exactly the person I pray to? Because I mean, I believe there's only one God. No, it's not. But that doesn't God. mean it's not. But I'm saying is like even my worldview through the years has changed to the point where 
I don't doubt that she's praying to the same God I'm praying to, but she's praying the way she was raised. Yeah. So about three years ago or two years ago when like uh, my, wife, yeah, my wife and I got, and these are things that as I'm growing as a Christian, I'm always continually challenging what I've been thinking, uh, what, what, what I've believed and how does this resonate with scripture? Um, but about two, three years ago, whenever everyone was getting COVID, my wife and I got COVID and we got sick. And we, my wife's annoying because my wife has one of the greatest <laughs> immune systems in the world. She was sick one day. No she, way. Was <laughs> she was cleaning the house. She was literally cleaning the house with COVID. I got hit so and, hard with it. Oh, dude, I was like, I felt like I had a bad flu, but I was like, uh, I can't even barely get to the toilet to take a, you know, go to the bathroom, let alone. <laughs> I like something there sweeping and dusting things. And But um, I had mentioned to my friend uh, that she, to her, that, oh, my Amy are down sick with the COVID. And she says, well, I'm going to do a prayer dance for you tonight. And I was like, what? I didn't know what that was. And she explained to me that in her tribe, they have this dance they do when they pray for people who are sick. It, it is very intentional. You have to, you know, as Christians, we go, hey, man, I'll be praying for you. Yeah. And she you have to, to wonder if sometimes people really do even. Oh, yeah. How sincere is that? Yeah. She had to put on an actual specific outfit. Wow. She has to actually do a specific type of dance. And she's doing that thinking about my wife and I, totally two strangers who. That's really cool. And, and it brought That's me love right there. It brought me to tears thinking about that somebody was willing to do that for me. So I drew her a cartoon. Of course, again, it's one of those things like my, my cartoon just becomes a journal in my daily life. But um, I drew a cartoon of her in the foreground dancing in her specific outfit that she's wearing and the specific way she's dancing. Uh, and then I'm in the background with a little Presbyterian prayer, you know, hands <laughs> clasped, looking seriously right. like and the caption says, when you re that moment you realize your friend has a cooler prayer life than you. Uh, and uh, <laughs> when I sent her, I think she was legitimately shocked because she's not used to having Christians tell her that her prayer life is legit. You know what I mean? We're so right. used to the Christian realm. Well, unless you say Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it right. doesn't count. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what? You know, so um, so the cartoon thing has been this thing. It's been this bizarre world where I literally am like connecting with people everywhere from like these super deep South rednecks who uh, would never think that they would ever be friends with this like guy from Chicago uh, to people who are adamantly against Christianity. Uh, but they like, I mean, I have people, I have atheists and different people reach out to me and go, wow, I never, um, you know, because I'm challenging my own world belief and my own faith belief. I'm not, I've had the Christians, I'm like, oh, you should draw cartoons about atheists. I'm like, oh, I'm not an atheist. Why would I, why would I do that? You know, it's, it's I'm not, you're not going to win people over by proving they're wrong. Yeah. You're going to win people over by loving them. And it goes back to, again, with the, Crash Dog, and then different people who have believed that that the way we're going to further our kingdom is through a political viewpoint, and it just doesn't work. And uh, how you're going to change people is by loving them, and it's just way easier. It's human nature. We're just it's way easier to shame people. It's way easier to um, tell people how they're wrong and how they don't have it right. And um, 
I, I'm such a screw up. 38 years after being a Christian, my life, my spiritual flow chart looks like like pretty lame. You know, what I mean, I, I I'm not the guy who's gonna be able to stand on and tell people how you're doing it wrong. I'm hopefully just gonna be telling people like I'm a screw up and Jesus still loves me. Yeah, and He can love you too. And uh, I'm hoping I'm conveying that through my my cartoons. Um, well, sort of like you said too, like you say you pray to the one and only God. They're thinking that too. So in that sense, it's like just love them, like you said, for who they are. Absolutely. Because you don't want someone to badger you about their faith and try to change your mind. Oh no, no, yeah. And again, it's um, I mean, one of the most powerful documentaries um you will ever watch. And I'm just uh, I I I'm, I have a defiance disorder. So the minute somebody tells me I have to watch something, I usually say no. But uh, <laughs> I um, I would encourage any of my the listeners here. One of the most powerful documentaries I ever watched was a documentary called um, and again changed my worldview or, and affirmed some of my worldviews and also challenged a lot of things. But um. Oh man, now it's uh it's inconvenient uh, hospitality. I can't remember. It's a documentary about a guy named musician named Daryl Davis, and he's black. He's a black musician, mm-hmm. and he has convinced over two hundred men to leave the Ku Klux Klan. Oh yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yep, yeah. And one of the Grand Wizards actually gave him his robe, right? That one guy? of his Grand Wizards is one of his best friends. Yeah, yep. Stood up in his wedding. It was one of his best men at his wedding. Uh, that's crazy. The, the the transformation that this guy has has affected in these people's lives is staggering. Mick, can and we Dave, can we look that up and put a link to that for the listeners? Oh yeah, totally. Cool, cool. cool. And uh, I just want to say, when you watch it, it's gonna be it's gonna be troublesome because you're seeing a black man hanging out with men in their outfits, clans members. He goes to clan rallies. Um. These guys all will openly tell you that he's one of the finest people they've ever met. Yeah. Now, how do you get that with somebody who openly their worldview is to say you're not even a human being? Um, right. Well, how he did it is he said, I, I, I showed these people love. I showed them kindness. Um, we're, I mean, who, who's going to show kindness to a Ku Klux Klan member? I mean, um, but if you look at the life of Jesus Christ, um, you know, as a young baby Christian, I was like, who would want to crucify such a nice person? I mean, Jesus talked about peace and love. and But the more and more I study the scriptures, the more and more I go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's probably why. You know, there's a scene in the scriptures where Jesus is t- preaching to the, the, the Jews and a centurion rolls up. Now... This is the equivalency of even worse. It's, it's not even in America. We can't even wrap our mind around these stories because we don't have the idea of what it's to be like a Jew in an impressive Roman occupied um, Jerusalem. We we just can't wrap our minds around this. But Jesus is preaching to this group of Jews, and a Roman centurion rolls up, who is the equivalency of like everything that's wrong in their lives, and asks Jesus to heal his servant. And Jesus turns to the crowd and says, I don't, I have not found uh, faith like this guy's anywhere else in the Jews. How offensive would that be to the Jewish people? You know what I mean? Like, wait, this bow, like this dude? Yeah. You're telling us we don't, we don't level up with his faith. Um, so 
for me, that's one of the things where it's just like if, uh, you know, I I I want to meet people who make me feel uncomfortable. I want to meet people who um, feel like they wouldn't normally, I wouldn't normally get a chance to, uh, like just, I love crossing those cultural boundaries. I love crossing, I like surprising people. Um, you know, another thing too, that's kind of caused some contention with me in certain groups uh, and even the Jews people is that uh, they, um, uh, is that I am a, because uh, I'm a hunter. I'm also, uh, I draw cartoons for a couple Second Amendment magazines. Wait, um, why I, is that? Why do people take problem with that you're a hunter? Uh, well, there's people in our community who aren't into guns. Sure. There's some people in our community who aren't really into hunting. And not that it's it's whatever. It's it's mildly tolerated. I'm kind of looked at a little bit like the less progressive Chapuza, you know. Right. Um, but because I also, um, I believe in the second amendment you know um and um but there's nothing wrong with hunting yeah no well even like in you know but also like but you know and so a couple of years ago crazy thing that happened a crazy funny story it's just one of those things that you just like i can't orchestrate the stuff on my own i just know this has to be the lord doing these kind of things but basically uh i had drawn a cartoon for a second amendment magazine that got published on facebook and it was a local thing in chicago and there was people who were really digging it and it was specifically designed for this cartoon was designed for a, uh, all black gun club in Chicago. It's people who are uh, black in the black community who legally want to own, they have the right. They want mm -hmm. the constitution to work for them just as much as white people. And, uh, so I drew a cartoon for them and, uh, there was this guy who took exception to a couple parts of the cartoon and he was kind of dissecting it and, People were really irritated with him. And I looked at his criticisms and I thought, you know what? He's actually right. So I messaged the guy and said, you know what? I appreciate your input. This is, you're absolutely right. Well, come to find out this guy is a, uh, he's former military, former law enforcement, and he teaches carrying concealed courses on the South side of Chicago. And so uh, a few years back, he was like, Hey, you should cut. And him and I became friends because he realized like, Oh, Tim Davis isn't going to get butthurt over some criticism, you know, and <laughs> which is shocking in the world of Facebook today, you know? Um, and so uh, him and I developed a friendship and he said, Hey, you should come down to my class and take my two. Here's a two day course that you take to get a permit to carry and conceal. And so I was like, sure. So I went down there, paid the uh, fee and I walked down and I, you know, in Chicago, you know, if you tell somebody a street address in Chicago, you know what neighborhood you're going into. Yep. And I, and I knew walking into this place, I was going to be the only white guy in this course and uh, 77th street and Ashland. And uh, I said to my wife, I know I'm going to be the only white guy. And it doesn't bother me at all. I love it. I love meeting new people. I love meeting people from all different backgrounds, groups, ethnicities, colors. I just don't know how they're going to feel about me being there. And I walked. Well, let's let's lay let's lay out a picture for the listeners of you because this is they're not going to see the video. Spike has a gigantic, wonderful white beard. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I look like yeah, I look like uh, a redneck Santa Claus, and uh, you know, uh, if, if Santa Claus and Gimli the dwarf had a child together, it would be me. So um, they um, love it. 
So I walk into this, you know, room, and of course, like no one said anything to me, but I could feel a vibe of like, why is this guy here? You know, and, and the instructor did not acknowledge my presence because outside of just the fact that I was a student, because he's very professional and he wasn't gonna be like, hey Spike, how you doing? He was just gonna be acting like everything was normal. And so uh within the first 10 minutes of us starting this class, one of the students raises her hands and says, Hey, can we go around and and, and introduce ourselves by name and say a little bio about ourselves? Cause it's just kind of weird to be here for um uh, two days and no one knows anything about each other. And the instructor said, no, you can't do that. Um, there's really? people specifically getting jobs in security fields. They don't want their name out. Uh, this is not a meet and greet. This is a, you're getting a permit to carry a gun. Um, if you want to be friends outside this group, that's fine. If somebody gives you their name, that's fine. But don't ask people. This isn't a social setting. And the instructor goes on to say, as a matter of fact, we've had people in uh, law We had a person in the U.S. Marshals in this class three months ago. I wasn't allowed to tell anyone he was a U.S. Marshal. I wasn't allowed to give out his name. He just blended in with the group. So you don't know who's in this classroom right now. Yeah. And everyone in that room looked over right <laughs> at me. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, they're all looking at me like, mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <And> <laughs> who's this guy <laughs> i raised my hands i raised my hand up and i said uh and the instructor calls him yes sir i said i'd like to clarify with the entire class i'm not a u.s marshal and the entire <laughs> place burst out laughing i mean it so uh it kind of breaks that ice, you know. Well, later on that day, we had to go to a gun range, and actually, you have to qualify with an actual live handgun to make sure, you know, they're not going to just give you a permit. And over three-fourths of the class were women who had never held an actual firearm in their life. And I was put in a group with four other women who had never done this before, and I've been shooting guns my entire life. And so uh, I got up to the range. I shot my target, the required amount, and I was happy with the results. And they roll up your paper and they had all four of us go or five of us go into another room where they were going to score it. And we're waiting on the guy who's going to score our, our targets. And I could tell the women are really just, just really discouraged. And I said to them, I was like, well, how'd y'all do? Not good. I said, well, what happened? And they said, um, they said uh, that um, they, uh, they said that we didn't shoot real good. I said, well, is this your first time using a gun? And they're like, yeah. And I said, well, um, don't be discouraged. You know, they, I said, let's see your targets. So they should open up their targets. And I mean, there is, there is, um, bullets everywhere. I mean, they, it's a miracle. They even shot, hit the target, you know? And, uh, so I said, well, don't be discouraged. You know, it's your first time shooting a gun. Um, keep at it. Well, the one lady looks at me and says, well, let's see your target. So I enroll my target, and all, all my bolts are dead center. And um, the lady looks at me right in the eyes and says, "Not a U.S. Marshal, my ass." And, uh, <laughs> and uh, that's so there, good. There, there's, there's four ladies on the south side to this day saying, "You know, I know, he said he wasn't a U.S. Marshal, yeah. but I know he was." I was so in a gun range class with a U.S. Marshal. Oh, exactly. That guy looked like Santa Claus. And okay. Kim was the dwarf, and he was the U.S. Marshal. But, <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, just um, – but, again, it's able to connect. Like, I would never have been able to orchestrate that. Um, that yeah. all happened cartooning. because Organically, literally, too, yeah. Yeah, organically. And even back to, like, you know, so even, like, with a thing like uh, 
how my life journey goes is uh and oddly enough and i was telling my wife about this last summer so about two three years ago and i've always fished all my life but in the last three four years i've just started really fishing our local harbor just down the street from jesus people it's montrose harbor okay and um it is the my wife has been a little bit concerned because i'll be out there at two three in the morning when salmon's running in the fall they're all night long (laughs) yeah i'll be out there i mean there's shootings and there's you know yeah stuff going on pretty dangerous yeah but i'm meeting connecting with people who i I don't know if i have a sign over my head that says hey talk to this guy about jesus but literally just be sitting there fishing randomly and have some random guy walk up to me and just start to or woman just start talking to me and asking me questions about my fishing which then leads into like hey well you know and i don't know this last summer i literally shared jesus organically with more people with a rod in my hands than i ever had when i was handing out tracks yeah that wasn't orchestrated i didn't go down to the harbor going i'm gonna go down and uh, i'm gonna spread the word of jesus christ i was going down there to catch a salmon and <laughs> uh um you just connect with people they feel like hey this guy's holding the fishing boys want to talk to him and um i had so many people i i made a bunch of friends with some muslim guys i made some friends with some um uh, Pakistanis, and uh, they felt one guy, this Muslim guy, and I. We've had several times we've gone fishing together, and he's asked me about my belief system. I've talked to him about, asked him about, because I don't really know a lot about the Muslim belief, you know, uh, other than what I've heard on crazy stuff on the news. So I was asking him questions, and we actually had a lot more in common, and a lot more, we had a lot more to connect on than we didn't. Mm-hmm. And uh, so again, it's just one of those things where. Um, uh living out a lot of that stuff that i've always wanted to do and god just keeps providing and putting stuff in front of me that i get a chance to do and it's all organic it's not something i wake up every day like i didn't wake up when they go hey honey let's get let's get a black child you know um there's this organic thing happened where a kid was really involved you know wanting to be a part of our lives you know and uh, i didn't wake up one day and go hey i want to be a um in magazines around, or I want to connect with rednecks in the South, you know, like that was never like, uh, it's like, uh, but I have some crazy relationships with people that, uh, I know has to be God. I mean, one of these guys I'm friends with down South, um, probably about three years ago, his wife wrote me a letter and said, I've been praying for my husband for years that, uh, somebody would come into his life that would talk to him about Jesus. And we never thought it'd be a bearded guy from Chicago, and uh, <laughs> you know that you can't you can't orchestrate that, right. you know. So, um, and again, I'm just grateful. Like I, I was just looking at each day, like what's the Lord gonna have for this next year, you know? Yeah. And um, yeah, New Year. Yeah, and I'm always just grateful. Like again, like when people are interested in me, with me from Crash Dog, I always kind of chuckle and laugh because I'm. That was a part of my life that, you know, it was, it was a purpose. It was nothing. I don't look back with any, like any serious regrets from that. Um, I'm grateful for the opportunity. I'm grateful for the people that helped me uh, well, do the things. it still lives on too. Do. It's great music that lives on still. Yeah. And it, it, it's humbling for me because even recently I had a friend of mine who I've known for years, but, uh, you know, she posted something on Facebook about, and I, I don't even know this thing, you know, uh, Spotify rap or whatever it is. Yep, where Spotify rap. What yeah, all the Crash Dog records are on Spotify, by the way. Yeah, and so like here it is. Uh, she's like, oh, the second most uh, listened to was Crash Dog, you know. And and she told me later on, she goes, and I was listening to you, you know, because of course 
in the crash dog realm, there's the spike crash dog and there's the Andrew crash yeah. dog because they definitely changed sound. Yes. When I there was well, there was two records with Andrew, right? Yeah. Yeah, three and, with you, two with Andrew. Yeah, and the funniest thing with this, and you is your listeners will get a crack up about this. My wife says that, and she'll be present most of the times when this happens. Is um, I will um. Without fail, somebody will come up to me uh, at the when we used to have the festival, or you know, someone will come up to me at Jesus People. Sometimes it's been randomly on the street. Are you Spike from Crash Dog? Yep, yes, I am. And it's weird that you know, 30 years later, people are still coming to me and saying this, but they'll be like, Oh my gosh, your music meant so much to me and touched my life. And I just want to thank you so much. I was like, Oh, I appreciate it. Cool. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I mean, Cassius, Fascist, and other fun guy. It was the most amazing album. <laughs> That's the album I wasn't on. Yeah. Do you I say that? Or do you say that to him? <laughs> no, I don't ever say anything. Don't. Well, you know, yeah. I'm glad you enjoyed it. It was really good. Like I don't want to burst their bubble, but they don't realize. Yeah. That's not the and, and without fail. Like it's like literally because. <laughs> but Nick gets that too. Them, by the way. I do. Yeah. Where they're like, yeah, yeah they, I was in Zayo, and they're like, "Blood and Fire, oh, fire. was the yep. music, was the album that changed <laughs> yeah. my life." That's the one he left on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you feel my pain, but uh, they um, and of course, ultimately, for me, if it's something that really was life changing for somebody, I really am happy for them. I don't have to be a part of that, you know. Um, right, and, but you and, were. I mean, you created that band. You put it together. It was your baby. Yeah. So in a way, even if you're not singing, it's still something that you put together and that lived on for two more records, you know? Well, I appreciate you saying that. That means a lot because, uh, you know, there are times and it, it, with any person who's an artist, there's always those voices in the back of your head that are pretty loud, like, you suck. And um, I mean, even with my cartooning stuff, you know, I'll, I'll um, uh, you know, you're looking at this stuff every day and you uh, just think, you know, yeah your own worst critic yeah why am i doing this i'm not really helping out people and um you know and then you'll get that email or that letter from somebody or uh, a message on facebook about something that really uh touched somebody or really encouraged somebody and um do you take you know, those well oh yeah no i mean i'm i'm very blessed and i um i'm I, I I obviously I uh, I don't know what you mean by taking it well, but I so feel sometimes, very sometimes like when if I if someone will say like oh my gosh you know I love this that you did or whatever it's I don't it's hard to it's it's hard to hear that sometimes sure. like it's hard to take it in and be like, is this sincere or are they just saying that because they're seeing me I don't know and then like yeah. you said you're your own worst critic you're <laughs> you're like why sure. do you like my why would you like something better you know. Sure. And, and there's a level of that where it's a fine line because I think, uh, I mean, I've had enough people tell me right to my face that I, I suck big time. Like um, there was a guy, a prominent uh, memory in my mind where I was playing a show at um, um, Portland. I was on tour with the last tour I was with Crash Dog and um, the band Crux came out to support us. Nice, yeah. And uh, great guys, and great uh, me and uh, Philip, the lead singer, were standing out. And this guy, Philip, could just he had a voice that was amazing, and just really. And this random dude comes walking up after the show and is like, "Dude, you can't sing worth crap!" Like this guy just starts openly tearing into me, <laughs> and, and I'm literally laughing, thinking it's hilarious. Genuinely, thinking it's hilarious that 
you probably need some therapy if you think that's appropriate <laughs> just to walk up to somebody and say that. Like you, uh, that's really weird that you would say that out. Like I feel worse for you than myself because yeah, right. you probably aren't functioning well in society if you think that's normal. Philip right. was ready to fight him. Philip wanted to fight him, and I was like, "Dude, don't don't waste your time on this guy. This is like, uh, yeah. this is clearly a maladjusted human being." And um, and I don't know. Like I don't, you know, like maybe the guy was just having a bad night. Just felt like you needed to leave, let me know how bad I sucked. But well, and you self-proclaim um, that you're not even. You say you're not yeah. a musician, even though I would say you are because <laughs> sing, singers are musicians, and you fronted that band and you put it together, and it's. Dude, that yeah. that band is a great band, and it's you know it's bigger than a lot of bands that any, that a lot of people have done. Well, I'll tell you a funny story too. And this is things where keep you these things keep you humble, and I just always um, I, they're more of laughing points for me than uh, you know, like you're talking about people who like want to praise you and how it makes, it makes you uncomfortable. About like eight years ago, I was in our dining room with these people eating breakfast, and there was this young girl visiting our community. She was probably a 19-year-old girl. I'm sitting there eating my breakfast, and she's got a crucified shirt on. And I'm like, this girl wasn't even born when the crucified were playing. <laughs> yeah. She wasn't probably even born when they broke up, you know, but right. it's, it's kind of weird for me to see this 19-year-old girl wearing a crucified shirt. So I, I say to her, like I, I just I'm finishing up my breakfast and I kinda yell to the next table, like, you like the crucified? And because I just want to see if she actually knows who the crucified are, or yeah, yeah, she yeah. get the show from a friend. And I was like, You like the crucified? And she's like, Oh, I love the crucified. It's like, oh cool. But you ever hear a crash dog? And um they um she her response was, uh, "Oh, my mom listens to that band." <laughs> and that's I amazing. Went, wow. <laughs> so uh, I didn't tell a- her I was in the band, or you know, I just was uh, putting out a feeler on that like. So, well, her mom probably listens to the Crucified too. Then, <laughs> yeah. So it was uh, again another lesson in humility, but <laughs> that's funny. Hey, we're, we are going to close this out soon, but I remember you telling me this story and I think, I don't remember all of it, so I'd love to hear it again, but I know the listeners need to hear it. You were on a hunting show, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah another crazy- Did you tell that story? Planet. Yeah, I was on Animal Planet. Another crazy, just crazy thing. And I'll finish out this because my wife is giving me the signal something's going on. I got to go deal with something here. But uh, they- um, I, um, so another crazy thing with cartooning and just whatever I was drawing cartoons for hunting magazine, I met a guy who was a professional hunter in, uh, Utah and I went out and hunted with him one time and uh, he was a character. He's kind of this larger than life guy. He's like six foot two, big guy, beat deep, booming voice. And we had a blast hunting together. And a couple of years later, uh, I had, um, been studying a cartoonist called Saul Steinberg. He was a cartoonist for New Yorker. And not only did Saul Starnberg make great cartoon, uh, cartoons, but he did these paper bag masks that just the minute you saw them, you're like, I got to now start making paper bag masks. And so I went and got some paper bags and I made a couple masks. I made one of myself. I made one of my wife. Oh, yeah, I've seen those. And then I decided to make one of my friends, the guy who I'd hunted with, Tom Austin, because he's got a big black beard, a big black unibrow, just kind of looks like a cartoon character. <laughs> and... uh 
So literally made these paper bag masks. And then uh, uh, two weeks later, I get a random phone call from him, from Tom Austin, saying, hey, uh, Animal Planet's going to call you in 20 minutes. Don't screw it up. I was like, what? <laughs> I mean, I'm in traffic in Chicago. And he's like, Animal Planet's going to call you in 20 minutes. Don't screw it up. <laughs> You're so in traffic. Like, sure enough, this guy calls me. He's like, uh, 20 minutes later, he's like, I'm with the studio that's working on uh, – a show idea for Animal Planet, and we need to find somebody who's dumb enough and entertaining enough to go to a remote island in the middle of the Caribbean and hunt for wild pigs. <laughs> and your friend Tom Austin, they were working on a gig, another separate gig with Tom Austin. And they said, Tom Austin, put your name in the hat. And so I was like, okay. He says, well, tomorrow we're going to interview you in front of, uh, we're going to do a, a Skype interview in front of all the Animal Planet executives. And they're gonna, we're gonna ask you a series of questions, and how you respond will determine whether you get picked for this job. They're they're interviewing people all over the country, and, and I'm thinking, you know, when, when the minute he told me something, I'm, I've always been the last one picked for dodgeball. There ain't no, you know, I know I ain't getting this gig. I'm I'm just a, a random dude from Chicago. Um, but the guy said this key thing. He says, well, "Hey, when you go to do the interview, be yourself, but be your big self." Be your big, like big yourself, you said. Be your big self, yeah. Oh, gotcha. He says, as a matter of fact, be like Tom Austin. <laughs> That's what this interviewer said to me. Because Tom Austin was kind of a big, bigger in life character. Yeah. So when he said that, I thought, okay. So the next morning when we turned on the Skype interview, I had Tom Austin's mask on. <laughs> and all the people were looking at me and they're like, uh, is this Tim Davis? I was like, no, it's Tom Austin. <laughs> Like, uh, well, where's Tim Davis? He's like, well, he's in the next room killing someone with bare hands. And um, oh I go on for I, I go on for like ten minutes in the interview. Is like why they should hire Tim Davis. I, but I'm talking like Tom with Austin, your like, mask on Tim still Davis. for ten minutes. Yeah, totally. yeah. I'm like, I wake up every day wishing I was as good as Tim Davis. Um, I mean, that man kills so much, and but you know, just I'm going on, and finally, uh. I said, well, I'll go get him. And I got up, walked off out of view, and I came back as myself and finished the interview. And these people were just looking at me like, oh, my God. And um, <laughs> so then they're like, we'll call you. we got to finish up all these interviews. In a month, we'll get back to you and let you know. And I thought, no, I'm never going to get called back from these guys. And yeah. A month later, they called me back and said, you got the gig. Wow. And not only did you get the gig, but you're the only person they interviewed that had an entire room full of people from Animal Planet laughing their heads off. <laughs> that is amazing so um and then yeah uh six months later i flew down to the caribbeans and hunted on an island for three and a half weeks wild pigs and met a bunch of crazy people and had a crazy time and it aired on tv and was 45 minute blip in tv history and um you know so many people i knew who had moved out of Jesus people to go out to california to try and make it big in the scene we're like, oh my god, this is gonna be life changing, dude. This is gonna be, this is gonna rocket you into fame. Like, I've only had one or two people recognize me <laughs> um, from nice. an animal show. Right. One of my buddies, who was this random guy that I tow for, or that tows for us, that GSP was this guy from Bolivia. He's like, like three years after I did the gig, he's like, "Were you on TV?" I was like, "Yeah." He goes, "I thought so." He's like, "I was watching TV last night," and I said to my wife. I know that big red nose. Uh, <laughs> anyway. 
big red nose. Like, what the dude? I got feelings, bro. I got feelings. <laughs> uh, so yeah, again, like if I'd have written my stories, life story at 16 when I left home to move to Chicago. Never, never thought it's interesting. Never would have thought the life I'm living right now. That's great, man. That's great. And I, I can't wait for the next 10, 20 years. What's going to happen? But uh, again, main main focus for me is waking up every day and asking the Lord just to be a master of the day and help me be uh, available to know what he needs me to do. Well, I appreciate your stories. Thank you for your time. Yeah, man. Um, Thank you. When I told Mick you were coming yeah. on, he was ecstatic. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Love you, brother. Uh, keep up the good work. And uh, tell Amy I said hi. And yeah, we'll do. we're going to drop Boy's Life by Crash Dog to send us out. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, um, if you want to, if you don't mind, you want to put a link on the uh, Red Jaw cartoons. Uh, Amazon. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. In case wants to buy my book there, it's available on Amazon. So Absolutely. Will you also send us some photos of yeah. one now and maybe when you were in Crash Dog for some promo stuff? Yeah. For sure. Awesome. Thank you, sir. Appreciate yeah, thank you guys. Thanks so much. No problem. Buns. Pour some salt. Down ahead. I slow from the bottles. Play a dirt. Down to ten to win. Ernie and Bert. Be a breed. Be a a tree. Let's get money. It's a boy's life. in this place anything goes it's thunderdome hey what's up wiley here hey we have a treat for the listeners a band called take yes i got it confused <laughs> with the band the take from new york city the oi hardcore band but man so i was super confused when they sent me a creed cover um, I thought, huh, that's interesting for the take. This is a different band. This is Take. They've been around for 20 years. They are not from New York City. 
and they are just as amazing as The Take from New York City. So we're going to play you the Creed song cover that they did, which is going to blow your mind. But first, I want to show you a little taste of what they actually normally sound like, okay? So this is Take with the song Power Trip. We're going to do a little clip right here. based out of Las Vegas, Nevada. For some reason, this podcast thinks we're based out of New York. I think they think we're a different band. But anyway, check out our brand new single from one of the greatest bands of all time, Creed. This is the song, What If. You are listening to Coffee and Heart.
say yes. It was, it, was, it was good to have Spike on and have him talk, and you got to share. It, it, dude, he has a lot of great stories. He does. That's the thing. Is he's a storyteller, and that's why he, he actually said, I don't know if nervous was the word, but something like, I hope that I can deliver. And I said, Spike, you're like one of the best storytellers I've ever met, <laughs> ever. I'm pretty sure you can, del- you can deliver, because I've been to his garage before, and it's basically behind my shop. Oh, wow. And he'll just tell the most amazing stories that you've ever heard. He's, he's gifted with storytelling. Yeah. yeah. Just a good, genuine guy, too. Like, great. Really good, genuine guy. So I, I don't know the the, um, when he was telling the story about like different things that he has done and, and, uh, you know, his faith and everything, you're like, yeah, I mean, sometimes, <laughs> I mean, we, we've shared our story some. And so sometimes that, that kind of stuff can get a little, uh, you know, you hear the same thing, you know, it gets annoying, but with him, it's, he's just so genuine and loving and caring and, and just wants to just hang with people and all that. It's like, this guy's real. He's not putting on some show. He's not doing anything. This That's who he really is. And that's what made it such a good conversation to me. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. I thought about you instantly when he started talking about um, his faith in 2005, when he started cartooning and yeah. he started questioning his faith. So basically he was deconstructing. Yeah. Not his religion part of it. Right. 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 Yeah. And you wrote a book yeah. about deconstructing, which yeah. I have. Well, yeah. Yeah. And did that hit home with you at all? Yeah. Uh, um, I didn't want to, I didn't know how comfortable you'd be about bringing it up in the actual talk with him. So I want, so I said, right. I mental noted to talk to you about it after. Yeah. 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 Uh, it did. It, it, it did. Um, and not that, you know, uh, different, maybe a little different outcome for me than Spike, but in a lot of ways, seeing the split off from uh you know when he was saying things like uh so i was told this and it's wrong what else is wrong you know and, and you know going down that same that same path um but i mean uh where i wouldn't say certain things like he would i still agree with him you know i thought it was such a beautiful statement when he was talking about his friend that he had met who was native american and and he told the story about her praying for him and you know going through all the the detail and stuff and basically he was like wow her 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 prayer life's (laughs) yeah i'm this professing christian and her prayer life's greater than mine uh i thought you know so I, i don't know see i like there's a lot of things that we see eye to eye on like um, you know, so I, yeah, it, it, it hit home a little bit and, uh, um, I don't know. That's not, I see that's this, the, I don't have labels anymore. So yeah, I oh, just can't. Speaking of not having labels anymore, <laughs> <laughs> I recently dropped one. Oh yeah. And you know, I'm not, I, I mean, we're in a straight edge band or whatever. It's right, barely right. a straight edge band. We just we just all don't drink and if there's X's in our names. Right. We're just old. Yeah, we're just old. <laughs> um but you know about it. 
and I, I was debating if I should talk about it, but we talked about so much on the podcast. It just come up because we talk about our lives on the podcast. Right, 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 right. But old man Wiley has broke veg. Oh, I was going to ask you about that, but I didn't want to ask you on there. But now yeah. that you brought it up, I'm going to ask you. So how did, well, how, one, how did that happen? Or how did that, what was the process in that? You don't have to go into great detail no, if you don't want to. And then, and then also like, how do you feel now? Okay. It's, it's interesting, right? So okay. it was, it has been such a huge part of my life for a very long time. Um, almost to the point where it just, you know, almost like strategy, like not drinking, like I've been strategy nine years. I know you have been your whole life, but right, like, right. uh, after a while, you just, you just live your life. You don't think about it. Right. Right. So that's the case with being vegan. Like I didn't, then let, let me rephrase too. I guess I wouldn't even say that I was really vegan because I ate eggs. Right. So we'll say vegetarian. Um, even though pretty much vegan, <laughs> no dairy, huh? no, no meat. Right. Right. Anyways, so we'll say vegetarian. So basically with my, you know, years and years and years and years not eating meat so it just becomes you don't think about it right anymore. it's not a big deal but i started get my hands and my feet like my fingertips and my toes started getting numb and i was like look this isn't good this isn't good i did, I did a little research looked it up and it said it could be an iron deficiency and i was like okay well we'll see how this goes so it started getting worse and I, my uncle picked me up in Chicago on the way to Ann Arbor. Cause we went to the Michigan verse um, Peru game. Yeah. And all the way in his car, pretty much like 20 minutes, my whole hands started. I couldn't feel them. And it started moving. Like the numbness started moving from my feet to my ankles. And I was kind of, free, I, I was kind of like, I don't know. I'm kind of freaking out. I might need to go to the hospital. Like, I don't think this is good. And it lasted for like the, you know, three hour drive or whatever, two and a half hour drive. And so we get to Ann Arbor. All my uncles are around the table because you saw that picture. We basically yeah. like reenacted the photo from 1997 when we went right. to the Michigan game and we were all there and we all retook the photo. Well, my uncle Mark, he lives in um, Tennessee, Tennessee, I think, Tennessee now. And he's like a, a sports um what do you call those people that uh, uh the health side of it like the uh like it's sport um like you know when you get hurt or what do you yeah like yeah that? yeah yeah not a chiropractor but like so, sort of like that like a oh, therapist sure yeah sports, sports therapist, therapist. Yeah. yeah yep um and i explained to him all you know what was going on with me and everything. And he's like, are you diabetic? And I was like, well, I mean, no, not to my knowledge. Um, and, but I do have high, high cholesterol and blood pressure running my family. You know, everyone in my family's there. So they were like, yeah, yeah. Um, but he's like, uh, do you get enough iron? And I was like, I, I don't know. He's like, are you vegan or vegetarian? I was like, yes. And he said, yeah, that's a huge thing that can happen to vegans or vegetarians they don't get the right kind or enough iron and um sometimes it can lead to type 1 diabetes so you got to be really careful so i was like oh shit so i was gonna go get some blood work done and i'm like 
you know what? First, I'm going to take, I'm going to try to take some iron pills and yeah. uh, like I take the 40 plus pills, but I was like, I'm going to take some iron pills. So I took iron pills. I, I gave it a week, actually a little more than a week, uh, like, like 10 or 11 days. It helped a little bit. Like it was going away a little bit. And my uncle Mark said, if you like salmon is huge, it's, it's really good for that. So I was like, you know what? My health isn't worth any sort of label or anything like that, you know, right, like, right. I'm sure I could have went and got like, uh, shots or anything, you know, like, uh, I was talking to Jacob and he's like, you, you can go get B12 shots or whatever from your doctor. And it's like, dude, I'm just, I ain't got, I don't got time to do that. Like right. for me to eat salmon's a little bit easier. And so I did and say eat, I try to eat fish like three times a day or three times a day, three times a week, <laughs> <laughs> three times a day. Now I have mercury poisoning. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, yeah. I sent you a picture of sardines and said, look, who's breaking veg. <laughs> right. Right. Um, <laughs> So to me, it's just not worth it. Right. I don't give a shit like what anyone says, what they want to say about it. It doesn't matter to me. Like I'm all for people being vegan and I think it can make a better world. I know it can, but uh, sorry, my health's not worth it. I got a a child now I got to think about. Yeah. I was going to say a a kid in your life changes a lot of things. Yeah. And I mean, when your hands and feet get numb and they it starts to get worse it was a little scary yeah, yeah. oh yeah 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 that, that that's you know your brain starts going to all these other places like yes the normal thing when your hand goes numb or your side goes numb or whatever is like oh god there's something wrong with my heart like you know because that's yes. like the big thing so oh yeah man well and it was i was looking at almost two weeks like that yeah that's and so that's i was scary. gonna go get blood and i was like you know what i want to try this first and then I'll right right and so i think it's been since the gate so what i look i think like two months now yeah um, wow yeah do they so, is that called is that called is that a pescatarian basically vegetarian who eats fish is that is that what that's called or am i completely way yeah, out i think there? i think it is um, something like that it has, there's a special name for it i know that yeah, it's a pescatarian yeah but, but the we're thing not, we're not the putting thing, those we don't right. care about those well you don't care about those labels <laughs> right but no i know you well enough to know that you've you're when it comes to things like that you're you always are mindful of what you eat and your health yes so to me it's like i know that you're like you're not and you might not have one of these in Chicago, but you're not like going, oh, I need to eat fish. So I'm going to go to Long John Silver's or Captain D's and eat a bunch no, of no, fried no, no, fish. No, you, no, no, no. You, you're getting salmon. So you're taking care of yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, what would be the point of? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I would go eat some fried yeah. fish from Hardee's. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That'll do it. <laughs> yeah. So that's that. That was hard for me, but like, yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't. It was because of like everything we talk about and we right. stand for and all this stuff. But again, when it comes down to it, my family, my health, and that's just, it's, that's my number one. I got to think. Right. About. Right. And I was never the kind of, per- like, it would have been brutal if I was the kind of person that 
push my stuff on other like i don't i've ne- i never gave you shit for eating me right. yeah i don't care about what other people do right so and that's the thing like uh, in the spike that might confuse people because in the spike chat he's talking about hunting and i said why would people give you crap for hunting there's nothing wrong with hunting and i i even stood i stood on that when i was a vegan like i think if you go out and you hunt and you kill an animal you actually eat it and you use it to feed your family and you're using it for the right reasons i don't think there's anything wrong with that um i I mean i grew up in the up shooting guns and all my family hunting right right yeah Well, it, you know, it's responsibility and that, that's what you hear when, like when you hear Spike and what all that he talked about, you just hear someone who's responsible. Yeah. Not, not some, you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not super in to hunting. I was more when I was younger, um, but who cares? That's what right. brings him joy. <laughs> right. Like, why, who am I to, to even be like, oh, you're, I can't believe people would even say that to him. Like, just let people, right. like, it, I know. like his message, let people just be people. Right. Right. Back up. Yeah. Just take a, take a second. Think about it. Like, yeah. I'm like, I, I live in West Virginia. <laughs> yeah. It's common. It's like, right? it's like, right. It's like the UP. Yeah, like yeah. when I was, when I was in, when I was in high school, you could still drive to school in your truck with a shotgun yep. rack. I mean, you could, yep. that was still a thing. Um, that was a different world then, but still, <laughs> yeah. that's what, that's what, you know. Isn't it crazy you know, what 30 or 40 years can do? I know. Like, I'm thinking about when I was my daughter's age, I was riding around in a uh, Volkswagen Beetle turned into a dune buggy with a 22. Interesting. <laughs> traffic back roads with my friend and shooting trees and other stuff while we're driving down the road i cannot imagine my son my daughter doing anything like that and then you know my daughter has a cell phone and i can tell i know where she's at at all Mm -hmm. times wherever she goes when i was a kid there was no cell phones and it wasn't like i could i didn't drive anywhere but i'd walk through the woods (laughs) to get whatever it's like so weird and different and yeah Uh, it's hard it's hard to even. It is. It is. So I don't know. So you're more of like in the country, right? Yeah. So when I was like, younger, they, they, and even I can say I live in a city now, mm-hmm. but I don't. Yeah, it's yeah. still rural. It's, it's a very small city. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I know when I was a kid, like, yeah, we would be paintballing in the fields, we'd be shooting guns yeah. or playing football or yeah. basketball at winter, wintertime, always hockey. So we were always outside playing sports, always. Yeah. Yeah. So kids but, don't especially in the city don't get to do that as much. No, there's not 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 as many opportunities and it's just like I said, it's just a different a different time. Different world, y'all. Different world. And and I don't want to be one of those old fogies that's like, well, back in my day. I don't want to be like that. Sure. Um, because there's a lot of things now that I'm very thankful for that is different. Yeah. Than when I was a kid. I'm very grateful for that. Uh, but there's some things that I wish it it there was the possibility of it being like that. So yeah. yeah. Well, so I okay. So I know when I came to Japuza, I visited in '99 and moved there in 2000. And I remember when I moved there. So 2000 people don't really have cell phones, right? Especially right. like you know, poor punk rock kids like us, right? Right. Yeah. And uh, 
internet's not you're not streaming movies back then right um it was nuts so you'd go down into the um i guess like the i guess you call it like a waiting area yeah and all the like single people kids would be hanging out and people would be skateboarding on like in Japuza and people would be listening to music uh you know with their Bachmans or whatever and um people would be watching movies at, at the front desk and then we would always pool money together like everyone would get like two or three dollars and so we'd get up to like three hundred dollars to have this dude sit in the grease trap in his underwear and we were like we'll give you three hundred dollars to sit in this grease trap in your underwear we're doing stuff like that you know like all this crazy stuff we were having so we used to get donations at Japuza. And you get donations of like stacks and stacks of Oreos. And so youth groups would come and visit and they would stay in the back building and we would just grab backpacks full of Oreos and we would have Oreo fights with the, with the kids that lived at Japuza and then the, the youth groups that were visiting. And it was epic. Like we were just <laughs> pelting each other with Oreos and all these cars and buildings were getting hit with Oreos. Like it was amazing. We were doing stuff like that, right? Um, anytime we wanted to watch a movie, we would have to go into someone's room and we'd all be watching a movie together. Like, what movie did you get? You know, what DVD or VHS did you get? Like, right. oh, you got this from the thrift store. Let's watch it. So we'd all watch it, you know. Fast forward, I come back to Chicago, what, 2012, 2013, 12? Is that nine years ago? I don't even know anymore. 10 years ago? <laughs> 2012. And it's like, completely different no one's hanging out everyone's in their room um it was weird it was like it's like a ghost town when you go in there and i'm like where does everyone hang out they're like oh everyone just hangs out in their own room and plays video games or streams movies or it was just weird yeah and that's like one thing that i wish never changed because people born now aren't really going to know that enjoyment of hanging out and bonding with people like that right it's yeah. I don't know, it was just strange it was completely yeah. like two different times yeah or and this is something that i've learned like watching my daughter is she she's she has a group of friends and they live in different parts of the city so they're not neighbors you know what i'm saying they're like they can't go outside and play yeah but what they do is they all get in one group group mm-hmm. and they hang out and there was a part of me that's like, oh, well, you know, that's you know, that's not cool. They're doing it this way. But then when I hear them laughing and giggling and goofing off, I'm like, well, that's what I sounded like. And it's different. But yet. Back up. So they're on the Internet doing it? Yeah. Yeah. They're oh, on yeah. the Internet doing it. Okay. They're on FaceTime or they're so on. Kind of like what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, basically, basically. But, you know, it's because it's. It, so that's that is one, a cool thing. That is a cool thing. In that way, it's yeah. connected in that way. But like yeah. you said, if every, if you just separate. And you're just yeah. like not doing anything with anybody. That's, you know, it's there's like there's good and bad to it. Sure. So. And I think some of those people are probably hanging out with other people via Internet, but right. they're missing out on what's in front of them, too. Ex- yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Both good points. Yeah. 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 Cool. Well, we, <laughs> we jabbered a lot. <laughs> we did. It was like a little philosophy moment there. at the end. <laughs> Yeah. One thing I did. I did want to throw out before yeah. we we go and hopefully the listeners can either have stopped by now this conversation <laughs> click pause out right. of here 
three stars or <laughs> they were keeping their attention somehow but my son now looks like a hockey player yes yes cracked a tooth um running full force on the cement and he usually catches himself this time he was restricted with his gloves and his coat that he had on and he caught it with his face oh man so we've been to two dentists in two days yesterday we went and then today we went to like a kid specialist dentist and he he doesn't even like his teeth being brushed like us brushing his teeth is uh yeah um but they took x-rays as well as they could and it split like down the center not center almost it's like almost half gone right Right. we were hoping it like wished it would have chipped the bottom off but it's like and so by the x-rays they they aren't sure if the nerve is exposed they said if it is it's barely right exposed but if it is it'll probably have to be pulled okay because it'll get worse so we're gonna give it two weeks to see how he does yeah see how he does he might look like an alex ovechkin or a top bertuzzi in two weeks we'll see um but but he looks awesome now you know but they're just baby teeth he'll get he'll get the other ones yeah but i mean not for it's gonna be like five or six years before he gets it (laughs) no we're we're gonna hope that it 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 everything corrects itself teeth are weird man especially when they're baby teeth yeah yeah like i have a my nephew cracked both front bad and really oh yeah and and they like he wasn't as young as Otto, but he was young and uh they just kind of grew back together Oh yeah, it's weird. Yeah, it's weird how that works. I don't know if his he the probably chipped the is. bottoms off, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, he chipped like d- he did it this way. Yeah, <laughs> yes. So, or vertically, or yeah, vertically. So yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. So we don't know what's going on. We got to wait it out because he like busted up his lip too, and then his teeth were spaced anyways like he has david letterman teeth anyways so like the little part in your mouth that's in between your teeth that yeah. little ball you know mm-hmm. it's back there like was bleeding a lot too so we're the dentist wasn't sure if like that was causing him pain or if touching the tooth was causing him pain right so we gotta wait it out it kind of sucks because yeah i think he looks awesome with the chip tooth i don't right. i really don't want to see him pull it they don't right. have to right because they gotta like go in there and stick needles in his gums and yeah that put put him under and not gonna be fun for a little guy no we don't want that to happen no 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 but that's all my jibber jabbering (laughs) all right all right well hey hey listen season five episode one is over with thank you guys for hanging with us please uh if you can share this episode uh like us uh if you need uh Best place to get a hold of us if you're a band wanting to send in your stuff for us to look at. If you're hardcore band, punk band, uh, best place to do this through Instagram. And uh, yeah, stay tuned for some other things that we got planned for this year as far as like the Patreon and all that goes. We'll be put out some information about that. Hopefully this month. Yeah, we might be having <laughs> a non-hardcore guest. Yeah. Ooh. Maybe next, maybe coming up soon soon yes 
So, <laughs> but it's a it's someone who inspired me also greatly growing up. Yeah, but also has, but at the same time has has their it, hands they, in hardcore. Yes. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 He's he's Kevin Bacon esque. Yeah. 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 So many shades to get to him. Not far. So many shades. <laughs> Not so many shades. So many shades. Somewhere in there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm sure everyone's had enough. This is probably going to be a long episode, too. Yeah. But you only got one in December. So that's right. So you can act yeah. like this is uh, yeah, a little... the second one in December and then, you know, whatever. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. Take us out of here with that, uh, with that outro skull, skull crack track. All righty. Caught you a delicious bass.